Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zap to the Past, we would just like to give a massive shout out to the following people Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Lee Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Vettingfeld, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Phil Sowerby, Joshua Kay, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Dennis B, AL82 Retro, Liam Carew, Dylan Darch, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, Lee Sparkles, Dan Wales, Gary Wilson, Oscar Jacobson, Brian Howarth, Rob Clayton, Clyde Radcliffe, Juan Luis Sanchez, Adam Askew, and Leo Staples. These amazing people have backed our Patreon at the C64 tier, and the support they offer is just awesome. If you want to join them, get a mention in next month's shout-out, access to our Discord server, early access to ad-free episodes, along with any special releases we put out, along with anything else we can think of, sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zap to the past for a little more than the price of a sandwich it helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to to episode 132 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 53 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were decidedly underworld by the oversold Dominator, held for ransom by hostages, and ran out of just about everything in Rallycross Simulator. This week, we conclude our look at the games in September 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, as the nights start to draw in, was there much warmth from the software fireside? In this Hollywood-fused episode, where we optimistically chant about new visitors and blindly follow the orders of a deranged puppeteer and his aggressive emu, we get into cute mode and puke up some bendy colour strips. All for fun, of course in the delightfully vibrant Rainbow Islands. We have our eyes and patience tested to the max by the parallax-scrolling madness of yet another side-scrolling trip to Borington in Inner Space, and then set our sprite sensor to flicker and our game mode to glitchy as we swoop around the troubled worlds of Gemini Wings. Eventually, all that singing and dancing in the pink windmill turned aggressive and, with the help of a witch, a robot and a crocodile, we were able to subdue and then drown Emu for now. While we process all of that, We head to Hollywood, the land where 8-bit dreams come true. Yeah. Anyway, we start our stroll on the Walk of Fame by taking off our shirt and probably our pants and heading out for an endless and dreary dust-up with a horde of mulleted Russian henchmen in the C-64 version of the film, Red Heat. Then we climb into a yellow Lycra wasp costume, kick a dog in the face and fidget across an empty game show set on the quest for the erase button in the utter calamity that is the C-64 version of the film The Running Man before we grab our dinner suits, shake but not stir our martinis and head into the action-filled world of 007 
as we chase down some more criminals in the C64 version of the film, Licence to Kill. Goodness me, even Arnie would rather push too many pencils than play some of these rubbish games. Let's hope he never sees them, otherwise he definitely won't be back. <laughs> there is warmth by my fire. <laughs> I knew, I knew you were to go there. <laughs> I knew it. As soon as I wrote that, I went, I bet that's what he says. And I was right. I was what, right is about seek, that what is it you seek, Adrian? What is it you seek? Black sun with a black moon or whatever. <laughs> Two snakes, but they are one. Uh. Zamora. <laughs> or should I say Zamzara. The game that you seek is Zamzara. <laughs> is, yeah. That's the one. Anyway, here we go. Uh, we've got games. We've got six to six week, more, we? Six more gaming treats. This, mm. I mean, th- this week, I mean, I think what you need to put in is you need to put in the Hooray for Hollywood tune because it is the Hollywood yeah, episode. Yeah. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Da, 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 da. Even one of the games is named after a game that could have been from Hollywood, but has nothing to do with it. That's very true. That is very true. (laughs) But we do have three games for the second half, which is pure Hollywood. It's pure razzmatazz. It's pure schmaltz. It's pure everything. It is. It's It's the Hollywood half. It is. Hooray for for Hollywood and all that. You might not be saying hooray afterwards, but (laughs) hooray for Hollywood. Hollywood. Horrorwood, I think. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Or Hollywooden. I'm not sure which. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, we haven't got to them yet, so we don't know. I mean, I've played them, so I know, but our listeners don't. And they're on tenterhooks right now going, will it be any good? What do they mean when they say that? (laughs) Are they good? We don't know. We can't figure it out. Normally, the first game's okay, then every other game they review is rubbish. (laughs) Absolutely. They do have a pattern. I wonder if that pattern will be repeated this week. Yes, we're breaking the pattern. Or are we? Or are we? I don't know. As I said at the beginning, you can join our Patreon if you want. It's patreon.com forward slash up to the past. Dot com. No, no, if you want, do join it. It's an exciting, wonderful thing. It is. Price of a sandwich. Price of yes. a sandwich these days. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so come join. Come join in the high scores and the, the revelry and the frivolities and the, the good old-fashioned. There's loads of good chat on there at the moment. I'm enjoying it. There's yeah. loads of good stuff. Yeah, a really um, thriving community of interested parties. It is. Yeah, it's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is I didn't mean that to sound sarcastic but it's just, sometimes I just do that and I didn't it mean just, it to it did it's a thriving community <laughs> of interested parties it is they are a really good bunch and uh, of course you get podcasts earlier don't you and all that malarkey so yeah yeah get it on the Friday night or whenever that is around in your part of the world. With no Could advertisements. No, no, no advertisements. So no. I suppose if you're if you're in California listening to this, then joining the Patreon will get you those. Uh, it'll get you ready for Friday morning because they're like yeah, ten hours actually, ten hours yeah. behind, aren't they? Yeah, you get it. You do get it early. Yeah, so yeah. it's pretty cool. And then also, you know, there's other things you can do, right? You know, join us. Join us. I mean, what better is there? You could be driving along the LA coastline sort of thing, listening to us. How cool yes, would that be? the Pacific be? Coast Highway. Yes, the, the PCH. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one. To go on the PCH. Don't, just don't go on the crumbly bits. <sighs> message for life. <laughs> Avoid the crumbly bits. Yeah. Avoid the crumbly well, bits. Well, Hadley's been down that way, hasn't he? <laughs> they let him get too close to the coast. I uh, know. They were thought he was safe over there because it's a different coastline. He yawned and half of the uh, big surf fell into <laughs> the sea. So he's not welcome there now. Yeah, the San Andreas fault is misspelt. It's <laughs> <laughs> the San Hadley fault. Yeah, Just blaming for everything. <laughs> that's what it is. Anyway, should we get into these games? We've got six. We've got stuff to talk about. Let's yeah, do we it. Have. Enough of this All frivolity. Right. Let's get into the first one. <laughs> 
And that first one is a full price. It is £9.99. It is Rainbow Islands. Rainbow Islands, the second of our two cutesy platformer-type games this week. Yeah. Last week we had the story. From the original arcade game of the same name comes Rainbow Islands, or as it is sometimes known, Rainbow Islands, the story of Bubble Bobble 2, which is a terrible yeah. subtitle. It is. <laughs> it is, but what do I know? What do I, I know that that's a terrible subtitle. The story of Bubble Bobble 2. That sounds like the Weird. making of. Yeah, it does. Don't it like isn't. it. It's not. Anyway, yes, this is a follow-up to Bubble Bobble, that cute little game where you played as Bub and Bob. There's cute dinosaurs who could blow bubbles and had a great conversion to the C64, which we looked at way back. I didn't look at the episode, but we looked at it way back. Originally, this was an arcade release from Tato. Tato! Potato! Um, and it's the second of four games. Did you know this is the second of four games in the Bubble Bobble saga? But even <laughs> that, even that's wrong, because the third and fourth uh, games were Bubble Symphony and Bubble Memories. But but this game has its own sequels, Parasol Stars and Bubble Bobble Part 2, which is kind of crazy. So it's actually six games in the Bubble Bobble series, not four. They lied to us. I mean, don't forget they turn up in like the Buster Move games, don't they, Bubble and Bob? So they're all over the place. These dinosaurs, they get a long way, but they're not dinosaurs. They I'll come out to that in a bit. Came out in 1987 um, in the arcades originally. And Game Machine, Graham, Game Machine listed Rainbow Island, the story of Bubble Bobble 2 on the December 1st, 1987 issue as being the second most successful Ooh, table arcade second. unit of the month. Better than ninth, wasn't it? Which was uh, New Zealand New story. Zealand story. Yeah, yeah, better. It's better. Better. It was ported to just about everything going, and the C64 version was handled by Graphgold. Well, it's all handled by Graphgold. Graphgold did everything pretty much over here. So, for, and it was released by Ocean Software. It had coding. This C64 version had coding by Gary J. Foreman, graphics by John Cumming, and music by Jason Page. Interestingly. Everything was done by Graphical. I'll come to some interesting bits about this right at the very end of this. But, but okay. interestingly, the Amiga version was coded by one Andrew Braybuck, and the music hey. on that version was uh, Steve Turner, the original Graphical crew, one might say. Aye. Yeah. Anyway, in this follow-up, you play as Bublin and Boblin. Oh, it took them a while to name them then. <laughs> and instead of being cute dinosaurs of the Bubble Bobble game, you're now cute children who can spit rainbow arcs from their mouths. All the best ones can. <laughs> I was like, uh, that's uh, maybe not their mouths. But I don't know where else they're coming where from. Where else is it coming from? I, I don't know where. Yeah, I'm hoping it's the mouse, but you know. The story here is that you have to save the Rainbow Islands from the evil Dark Shadow, who was the evil creature that was responsible for the events in Bubble Bobble. I was not even aware there was a story in Bubble Bobble, but there you go. I didn't know that, but now we know. This is now the you know. story of the Bubble Bobble, isn't it? So, yeah, is yeah, it? yeah, it is. The game starts well. An excellent loading screen. It's very good. Very good loading screen on this game. Lots of nice yeah, shading and very well drawn. And then we get a bit of text to tell us the game is loading. What's nice here is we have a solid arcade font. You can yes. tell us, you yes. know, you look at that font and you go, arcade. They've taken yeah. the time to do a good font. Always a winner. It is. Always a winner I in our probably, books. I could look that up in my arcade typeface book and tell you what name it is, but I won't. I don't need to know. I just know I looked at it and went, arcade font, love it. But what it, it just shows that, you know, nothing's been overlooked here from the outset. They've taken the care and time where it's needed. On the title screen, there's no music, but it looks like an arcade game. Like we said yes. about Pac-Land, it has yeah. that, they've, they've gone that extra mile yeah. to make this look like an arcade game. All it misses from the yeah. arcade version is that Rainbow Islands logo, but it yeah. still looks like... Um, it still looks like the front end to an arcade, and it's great. You hit F7 to enter up to five credits. You can't just play this. You've got to put credits in. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, so you get up to five credits, F7. That's actually five continues. Nice, because you're going to need them. And then you press fire to start playing. You can play as two players, uh, but you take turns to do so instead of the single screen antics of Bubble Bobble, I believe. I didn't play in two player. I just read that, so don't. Don't hit me if I'm wrong. You don't get the map screen like you do in the arcade version, though. Seems a bit of an omission, considering this is a multi-load. You do get it on yeah. the Spectrum version. I noticed um, that. So could they have fit that in somewhere before the level loads? I'm sure they could have, maybe. 
Probably. Yeah, should have. Yeah. Anyway, once the game starts, the first thing you notice is how close this is to the arcade parent. The opening screen and indeed levels are excellent C64 representations of the arcade with the castle foreground uh, castle foreground graphics and spires and clouds in the background. It looks pretty much exactly the same. The visuals do a great job of representing this. The second is the music. It's the second thing you'll notice, which, like the arcade version, is a repeating version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. However, it's a little on the shrill side. Mm. It's a little on the shrill, and I couldn't find any way to turn it off because it does tend to grate after a while. A bit annoying, but not a showstopper. Screen is laid out in three bands with the high score and scores for both, both players at the top, the number of lives and credits at the bottom, and the game in the middle, taking up about two-thirds of the display. I'd say about two-thirds. It's about two-thirds of the display. Whilst the visuals are a good representation of the card, arcade, as I said, the play space is not, and there is not a lot of, and the, sorry, there's a lot of vertical height display missing here. The arcade fills up a sort of 4-3 screen. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so, so I'm guessing this is to keep the frame rate up, but it does make the game feel a little more cramped than the arcade version. You don't have a lot of uh, sort of warning of what's above you. Scrolling to right, but, yeah. you know, you, li- you lack a lot of that sort of uh, affordance to see what's up above you. Mm-hmm. You control, control one of either Bub or Bob, and unlike the first game, the aim of this game is to climb the vertical scrolling play space and get to the goal at the top. And that's, as I said, hindered a little bit by the cramped, you know, vertical viewpoint. Mm. That does mm. does uh, does hurt a little bit. Not terribly, but it does a little bit. You'll see this style of game in loads of mobile games further down the line. I was thinking, have we seen many of these kind of pl- foot climbing platformers where we're going upwards? Don't think we have, but you know, you things like Doodle Jump, I guess, lo- lo- loads down the line, and ga- games like that. There's probably loads. Yeah, there's probably loads. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you 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 know because it's suited more to that vertical, you know, that uh, uh, portrait um, angle of screen sort of thing to sort of mm. see lots of top thing and scrolling upwards. You see loads of it on mobiles, yeah, yeah. but this is. An early version of that, I can't. I can't. I was trying to think of many sort of vertical scrolling sh- platformers. Can't think of many. Bub can run left or right, and you can jump by pushing up on the joystick. Interestingly, the longer you hold up, the higher he will jump. So you do have some control in your movement here. This is tracked over from the arcade, so it controls the same. So if you just tap it, it'll just do a little hop, hold it down, you can do the big jump and anywhere in between. It's cool. Pressing the fire button, that will create a rainbow in front of you. And this is your main way of navigating the play space and attacking any of the enemies going around. You can, If you create a rainbow, then you can run on top of it because it's like, it's like an arc, like a rainbow, allowing you to climb the tower and reach hard to access platforms. There are also many types of baddies patrolling the tower and they will kill you on contact costing one of your three lives. But hitting one with a rainbow as it acts out will take them out. And when they land, they usually turn it into a, something to pick up. This changes as well, but depending on what how you're playing the game and the difficulty and all these kind of things. Um, you can also jump on rainbows that you spat out at any point, and this will cause them to fall downwards and any enemies that are underneath them will be destroyed. Killing the enemies this way will cause them to create bonuses, uh, such as gems and power-ups, and these can be collected to make things easier for you. There is a whole slew of stuff in this game where the gems need to be collected in the right order to get the proper ending. There's quite a lot going on behind the scenes in this game. There are loads of items about the levels that can be collected, but the power-ups you can collect, they are magic shoes, which increase your speed. There are red potions, which allow you to spit out two, then three rainbows at once. You can start off with just the one. Um, and there are yellow potions, which speed up the rainbows being thrown out, so they just get faster, so you spit them quicker. The gems, like I said, are different coloured. Capturing all of those allows access to secret rooms, and getting all these allow you to get to get the true good ending. 
I think. Now, there's a bit about the ending, which I'll come to at the end of this, but we'll talk about that in a moment. The game is also monitoring what you've collected and thus will provide different things to collect depending on how well or badly you are doing, which is quite a thing. It's kind of adaptive difficulty in 1987 to 89 for this version. That's quite that's quite advanced. Not many games are doing that sort of thing at this point in time where it's sort of monitoring how you're doing and what you're collecting and what it's spat out and, and you know, what's there to collect. It's quite impressive. I quite like that. The game is all seven of the worlds. Now I say all seven of the worlds. I'll come to it again, a bit of this towards the end. From the arcade, and they are Insect Island, Combat Island, Monster Island, Toy Island, Doze Island, Robot Island, and finally Dragon Island. Each of these has a boss at the end that must be defeated, and if you've done things correctly, it allows access to secret rooms for massive bonuses. One has to admire this conversion, really, because screen size aside, it's a really very solid representation of the arcade game with all levels and bosses. There's a there's an asterisk against all, level, against the all levels bit, and bosses and power-ups and everything intact. The visuals are excellent, even if they do use some tricks like characters for the objects, and you can notice because they've got characters sprites around them so they have drawn but they work and the sprites themselves are really nice they're wandering about everything's fast and there's sort of really an excellent version of the arcade machine i thought the sound is a bit annoying i have to say but the gameplay here is excellent and fast even if there's a little bit of slowdown when multiple rainbows are destroyed in some of the boss fights but usually that's quite cool because it's usually killing the boss at the same time so it's almost it made me sort of think of ikaruga when it all goes a bit crazy and uh, you know you get the slowdown yeah. on the bosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes yeah. slowdown on bosses when they're actually being destroyed is actually quite a nice effect. Mm. But you know it is what it is. You soon get used to it. The controls are tight and again replicate the arcade very well. And the only thing to really pick at here is the amount of screen space to play in. But to be honest, you soon get used to that. It's an excellent conversion, and I'm not really sure what they could have done to improve this. Um, on the C64. Yeah, the multi-load is a bit of a pain, but on disc in the here and now, it's no real bother. So if you want a solid version of this, then the C64 is a very good version. Like most versions, they're all very good. It's also great that you get five credits to start off Start off where you died should you lose all your three lives. That's good too. Although infinite credits would have been better, <laughs> I think, or more or yeah. 10. <laughs> you know, yeah. As I still more. lost loads of lives to the first boss until I figured out how to do it, so it got became a bit of a pain. It was like, a, you know, I just couldn't figure out how to keep that base boss. And, but once I figured it's like ah okay there are even mid-level checkpoints as well that's good so you don't always start off down the bottom this is great it's a really great conversion a first-rate conversion this and i thought back to the graph gold of old there's also um just to add some extra bits there's a great write-up of this on andrew braybrook's blog it goes into loads of details. We'll put the link in the show notes and you should go have a read of it because it's a really good read about all what all went into the making of this game. It's about the production of this, the technical side of things, and they talks about all of them. So the Amiga version, the ST version, the Spectrum version, and who was working on them and everything like that. And we'll link to it here. Like I said, a couple of interesting things in there. Um, I'm just going to pull out. The game was never, nearly never released. Wow. It was finished in 1988, but just before they finished, Telecomsoft, who had the license, went bust and there was no one to release it. So it just sat there. Wow. They got they finished it and they got paid, but it just sat in software limbo. And it was actually uh, Gary Penn and Gary Witter. Gary Witter's an interesting one. He wrote loads of Hollywood scripts now. That's what he does. But wow. he was a, he was a game journalist back then. They had a talk with Ocean after seeing it, and and their Ocean spoke to Tato to pick up the license and get it released, which is kind of cool because probably quite nice actually because then Ocean wouldn't have to pay for any of the uh, production, but just yeah. have to pay for the oh, license. Yeah. It was all made and it was all ready for Ocean all the. Love that. Yeah, and it was all made and ready, and it was you know, and it's really, really good for all the mm. platforms. We go, we have this, we just need someone to publish it. On top of that, just interestingly, the arcade game has three secret levels that they're only revealed when you play the game to completion and get the good ending. Um, when you get that, if you don't complete it with all the gems and everything, you get the bad ending. If you get the good ending, then what happens is three new islands just rise up out of the ocean. Um, wow. And 
from the map and and they are as as noted in the blog way in excess of what they could manage in the time frame and from a technical standpoint of what they'd sort of budgeted for what they'd sort of buying for with the time and what the systems could do because those three levels pushed loads of extra you know graphics in in excess of what had been in the previous seven levels and they're just like no this is too much we can't do it it's why the conversions only have the seven original islands on them they only found that out it's because um one of the people I can't remember the Dar Dominic or whatever I think it's Dominic or John Cummings played it. Play was play. He was really good at the game. He played it through to completion. First of all, to get the bad end, so they could see them all and get the bad end. Then he had to play it through again on the arcade because they never got, they didn't get told this. And then when he <laughs> when they when he was they're all the way waiting, he completed it with a good ending. These are the three islands phrased up, and they were like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there you go. There's loads more in it though in that article. I really would recommend you go read it. It's really good. All told, though, you know, like I said, 90, what did this get? 92%? Two, 92. Yeah. I think, what did New Zealand Story, that got 93? This is better yeah. than New Zealand Story, I think. So, wrong way around. They're both probably sizzling material. They're both really good, but I think, I, I think this is, if, if you give him bubble bobble, I think, a gold medal, I think this is pushing towards that as well. I think this is a really, really excellent conversion. I don't know what else they could have done. Um, it's solid, fast, and it's got everything from the arcade apart from those last three levels, but great game, great game. Loved it. What do you think? Yeah, it's all right. Rainbow Islands. It was never a game I really liked that much. But then I didn't really like New Zealand Story that much either. Um, I suppose the worst you can say about this is that it's bright and cheerful, which is, no, that's not a bad thing, is it? Um, And it certainly is definitely those things in buckets, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you're throwing throwing up rainbows, I thought, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Either way, you know, rainbows are coming out of you, jumping up platforms. It's got a really nice pro arcade logic to it. It's it's a great, solid arcade port. It really is. Mm -hmm. There's maybe a few... Tiny things here and there, like you said, the screen size may be a bit restrictive. Music gets bloody annoying, but you know, it would do anyway. It does on the arcade. Yes. And it's the same as the arcade music. It's got that kind of a jazzed up version, like you say, of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, it, it does retain the charm of the arcade. Uh, and I think it's the, the arcade had more charm than New Zealand Story. Mm, New Zealand yeah. Story felt a bit forced. Rainbow Islands just feels kind of cutesy. Um, and that's quite nice. Um, it also led to a really mad um, techno version of a song called Rainbow Islands, I think, which is crazy, like one of those <laughs> happy hardcore tracks. Last time I remember hearing that was on a the waltzes at um, the Goose Fair in Nottingham. <laughs> Uh, and I remember watching like a, a kid go on there with all the hopes and dreams of a waltz, you know, someone that wants to go on the waltzes, throwing up popcorn like a possessed demon <laughs> by the end of being spun around at warp speed. Anyway, it's a whole different uh, conversation. Anyway, um, yeah. So yeah, I was able to jump around, blast the rainbows about, get stuff, you know, play the game. I got right into it. It's one of those pick up and go games, isn't it? It yes. doesn't require a lot of you know complex Mark Kale descriptions, does it? You know, some no, no element of sci-fi needed here. Graphics, I thought, really good. Scrolling did my head in, but because it's not quite as, it's like, it's again, it's not smooth, but it's not bad enough to be not smooth. It's all right. Uh, but mm. as another C, as a C64 rendition of an arcade go, this is the right trajectory and the right direction for them. And for that, I applaud it because, you know, generally speaking, at the end of these conversations, I'm going, it's another crappy arcade conversion. <laughs> not this time. I'm pleased to say this is another excellent arcade conversion. Really, really good fun. And just a bit, it's just nice to play a game that's quite nice. Where I'm yeah. not, you know, having to do some drudgery, walking around, picking up the egg to take it to the 16 screens tonight to put it in front of the, you know, the the, the gorilla <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I thought this was good. There's a lot of things moving on that screen as well, and it handles them all pretty, pretty brilliantly. So there's some very clever code going on in there. Yes. Good stuff. Good start to the podcast, isn't it, that? Nice. Good old Rainbow Islands. Yeah, very good. I yeah. approve. Excellent. Go play it. 92%. 
Should have been a bit higher in a sizzler, at least, shouldn't it, really? But well, it was a sizzler, but it should have been pushing toward the gold, I think. If Bubble Bobble was it gets a sizzler? it. You, did, you marked it down as a sizzler. It is a sizzler. Sorry, yes, it is a sizzler. That's that's on me. It is definitely a sizzler. Sizzle, sizzle, sizzler. Ne- they're never going to be gold, are they, these? But, you know, and it's good value for the, at least you're getting everything for the price, which you did with New Zealand Story as well. I like that. You're not getting half the game. So good. No. Good. Well done. Graph Gold, well done indeed. Well done, you. Yeah, well done. There you go. That's Rainbow Island. We like that. Let's move on to our second game. And Graham, is this game the start of our Hollywood connection this week? Because it's inner space. The TLDR of that is no. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately. But this is, this is, Adrian, the triumphant return of CRL. Yay! We thought CRL had gone. <laughs> We thought we'd seen them off. We might wish they had by the end of this, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, they've brought out another one. £9.99 to you, this was. 44% though. So they're breaking their average for the score, <laughs> um, at least. Anyway, this was coded by Pogo. I'm sure that's not his real name, but Pogo is the guy, that, or person, should I say, that did Impossible Mission 2. Interesting. Oh. Uh, graphics are by Pogo and by somebody called Talk. And that's T-O-R-Q-U-E. Yeah, T-O-R-Q-U-E, yeah. And the musician, Charles Deenan. So he of the maniacs of noise. That's maniacs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So inner space, and now it's very difficult to find any instructions for this anywhere in the universe, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. Anyway, the blurb I've got is the blurb I've got. So here we go. Inner space is a horizontally side-scrolling shooter where you control a spaceship and must blast wave after wave of alien ships over nine levels. At the end of each level is a boss, and these take a number of shots before destroying it. If you touch any ship or bullet, then you lose one of your five lives. And when all lives are gone, it is the game over. Okay. Every time you destroy a wave of ships, an icon moves across the screen. When collected, gives you a better weapon. This is indicated by a row of icons below the playing area, and each time you collect an icon, the next one is highlighted. Press space, and the weapon is used. But if you don't destroy a wave when an icon is highlighted, you lose the chance to select it. And if you don't shoot all of the icons, I think you lose energy blocks, as I remember it as well. So not shooting things ends up killing you in this game. There is a great tremor in the force. <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> the game the game design gods are angry <laughs> angry on their mountain <laughs> well CRL that's all I'm saying CRL this is a great comeback great comeback let's make a game where not shooting things kills you alright that conversation <laughs> happened didn't it um, so anyway so there's some good music and impressive visuals initially and this there is it certainly starts the show well and then things start to fall apart once you pass the loading screen you get to the title screen with some wibbly wobbly hard to read writing on it now, never outline regular text and never make it wibbly-wobbly and never put raster scrolly colours on it. Yeah, Don't do those things, I was ever. inside of my screen. I was like, what's going on? Also, if you're going to do it, do it to all the text. Don't just have half in wibble-wobble, half in plain. Could you imagine what that would have done to a CRT screen in, back in the day? I, it would have made mine make scream noises. It, it would have been like that that horrible wheeze. Yeah, mine had that kind on. of and whistle. Like no. the, your edge of your border would have been doing that wibbly-wobbly nonsense. Oh, damn, horrible. I hate to think. You'd have been at the back wiggling. The, it's something wrong with the cable. It's making some weird noise. It's, scream, it's screaming. You're making it scream. Anyway, <laughs> so once you pass the wibbly wobbly how to read screen, uh, you start the game and some kind of loading happens and then the game starts. So something happens. Just There was a pause. I don't know if this is just take, take yeah, the disc. Weirdly, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, weirdly, because no, nothing seemed to light up on the – no disc no. light went on, <laughs> no. no tape light went on. Just just stopped for a minute because I was thinking. It was like, hmm, let me think. It was like pool player from 3D pool. He's back. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's him. No wonder he's like, let me think about where I'm going to put these things. Anyway, so hmm. uh, the presentation-wise, I thought it, this look does look nicely realised from the get-go. The look. 
featuring some nice parallax scrolling, confusing, but nice parallax scrolling, and some actually decently shaded graphics. Random graphics, though they may be for a background of a game of this type, but they are very nicely shaded random graphics. You control your spaceship, and in the time-honored tradition, you blast at waves of aliens, gaining energy units to climb the upgrade ladder, and eventually get to the end of level, boss, and kill it. Like I've said, myself, straightforward, you know, shoot them up stuff. Yep. The game window is split into three, with the majority of the top third given over to the side-scrolling game and the parallax scrolling. Under that is a row of upgrade icons, akin to the usual Delta style, so meaningless blocks that represent something with icons <laughs> on that you won't understand what they are, and nor are they described anywhere. Uh-huh. At least I couldn't find any. And under that, your live score, level, and current high score. You know, the usual sort of, uh, you know, things that you need. There's some nice colours, all said. Uh, medium res, all the way here, but nice. So it has that medium res payload on the width. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the sprite design for your spaceship I thought was okay. You kind of look like mm. an animated satellite type thing with shiny bits, with spinny stuff on it. So it's a kind of a spinny thing, maybe a spinny egg really, I don't know. Your ship is grey and white though, um, as, as is the background of the initial level. So with parallax scrolling, <laughs> that all gets a bit hard on the eye. That. It's like, where am I? Ah, where am I? I can't see, can't see what's happening. <laughs> that, it's coming straight after the wibbly text. I was like, yeah. what's wrong? So, who, who hates my eyes? Someone's discovered that they can do, you know, lots of fancy stuff with the DO16 register. Fair enough. But, you know, also just think about colours. Anyway, so um, it does get a bit busy on the eye. And then obviously the, things do change in terms of colour as well later down the line. There's small waves of enemies in this, though. <laughs> Made me laugh loads. So small waves of enemies, you know, in fours, really. Or yeah. fours of, you know, sm- not, not, not multiplex challenging, particularly. And we'll wobble in from the right and perform all sorts of angled chicanery. You know, up, down, zippy, zap, woo, hey, up there, coming down the bottom, woo, and then we go up and, you know, and all that kind of thing. Um, and you need to blast them, all of them, to see a little reward thing fly towards you. And when collected, it will light up one of your console icons. If you miss one, it disappears and you can't use it. And if, every time I press the space bike, it just made it vanish and nothing yeah. happened. I would blow up. <laughs> yeah, or I blow up, yeah. Or I just like, blow why up. have I blown up? I've used a power-up. That's a downgrade. <laughs> That's a very def- antithesis of a power-up. He's destroying my ship. It seemed to me that, you know, suicide ex- suicide tablets are not the thing you want to be giving out, but, you know, nope. could, you know maybe it was the enemy's plan. Anyway, you need a need to hammer the fire button on this one to shoot as well. Yeah. And obviously move around the eye-watering display a lot. Now, if your eyes weren't watering after the complex color, uh, or should I say the complex single single colors that you get on the gray on gray, white on white background, mm-hmm. the following levels are going to break your brain with all the various multiplex, multi, no, sorry, multiplex, but the multi-parallax scrolling effects. So there's nine levels of this, by the way. And on the first of the nine levels, eventually, after you've gone through some of this, <laughs> at the end of the level, you're confronted with a, what, what is a robotic egg. <laughs> An egg. <laughs> at which point, I thought you'd go, best game ever. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm all for, I'm all for eggs in games. But, you know, Robeg is a robot egg. <laughs> it's like, I think somebody who created Sonic played this. It looked like a massive, like a Terminator Dizzy. Yeah. Um, and that's it, not nice. Or a that's shit, nice, shit Umpty Dumpty. Yeah, yeah. Well, crazy powerful Umpty Dumpty. Upgraded Umpty Dumpty. So, you know, Umpty Dumped on. Anyway, um, so you need to shoot that to me onto this level. Look at that. It's not, there's nothing original happening here. No, it's, I don't know quite where this game came from or why it's called Inner Space. I don't get what that's about. I don't know if you're in some kind of space. Or I couldn't find a blurb, so I don't know what that's really about. Anyway, sound effects in the game are all suitably shooty, and there is some interstitial music that, while quite good, I'll grant you, doesn't suit this game at all. 
I've, I've written the same thing. The beginning bit of the music sort of suits it, and then you think, oh, this is quite good, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, it don't. This is clearly music for a different project. Some, something's gone wrong. Anyway, as you progress, there's loads and loads and loads of enemy types. Apparently 130-odd, was it? This says in the blurb somewhere, or one of the blurbs I read somewhere, one of the descriptions. Who cares? Uh, yeah. There could be 250. It doesn't matter, does it? You see them in p- pockets of four. So it's not like, you know, it's just so stupid. Anyway, they, it all looks exactly like you'd expect something like this to look. They all move around in sine waves or up and down or left and right. Some of them, sometimes, sometimes they blend with the backgrounds. More often than not, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they look nice. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the backgrounds look quite good, but they're all quite repeated patterns. So they've got a bit of Scooby Dooism going on. Nicely shaded Scooby Dooism, but <laughs> Scooby Dooism all the same. The issue here, outside of all that, is dullness. Uh-huh. I mean, this this has some polish in terms of visuals, fine, but offers none of the pizzazz you would expect in any of the, in a game of this type, especially. And I am getting really bored of saying this. Since we've had loads of great side-scrolling shooters like Armalite, R-Type, <laughs> yeah. and so on and so on and so on and so on. I was kind of bored of saying it now, but we did say that that would happen when Armalite came out. Because like it set, it set such a high benchmark. Everything else looks feels a bit crap. Yep. Anyway, add to all of that the weird way you upgrade in this, which downgrades you initially and kills you. So I'm not quite sure what, you know, some kind of weird self-harming upgrade. I don't know, get it. And it's nice to look at, but it's dull as dishwater to play. Wave after wave of dreary aliens. Pretty but uninteresting backgrounds. Nah. At the end, it says Harry Crickson has found peace away from... This is what it says at the end of the game, by the way. Harry Crickson has found peace away from the war and now lives with his wife and kids just north of Reading. <laughs> that's what it says. That's what that's in the game itself. You is can that, check it out. That? Slough? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know who Harry Crickson is. Who's Harry Crickson? Maybe that's the film follow-up to who's Harry Crumb. I don't know. But anyway, apparently he lives... You know, he lives uh, North of Reading. So I feel like after nine levels of having my brain rewritten with with weird colour schemes, I've maybe deserved a bit more of an ending than that. But anyway, there well, you go. just North of Reading. Toker's Green, Sonning Common, Henley on Thames. There you go. It's probably there. So uh, <laughs> after all of that, what did I think to the game itself? Well, like I said, boring, offering nothing. This is Dominator's three side-scrolling levels. You know, uninteresting side-scroller when there's been side-scrollers that are way better at everything. So the music is good, but not for this game. Other than that, Graphics are pretty, but no, nah, dull, dull, dull <laughs> gameplay, dull all the way. Yeah, so, not for me. No, what about yeah. you? Full price game, full of nope. <laughs> yeah, north of uh, Reading, that is nope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's nope on the rye. Nope on the rye. <laughs> That's what this is. I don't go. Who thought this was a good idea? They thought this was good enough to release at full price because it's anti-player, and that always annoys me. There are some good elements. Yes, I did like the title screen music. And as I've written, like you said, even if it doesn't fit into this game in any way imaginable, <laughs> this is not from this game. So they've got it. So CRL have nicked it off a demo. Some of the visuals, mm. some of the visuals, the backgrounds are well drawn. The scrolling is smooth. Yeah, okay. But this is a left to right horizontal scroller, and is is in as you've rightly said, some pretty powerful company right now. And quite frankly, mm. this would struggle as a budget release. This doesn't even stand up against like that Slayer and other budget sort of left to right. Even the Zynaps no. knockoff. Not sign-ups, uh, uh, side-arms knock-off we played and stuff like that. Things like that, they're more interesting and fun than this. The main issue, mm. is, as you've rightly said, is it's just terribly boring. <laughs> yeah. There's no sense of anything as you play this. Boring waves of enemies boringly come towards you, and there's no urgency or sense of regression. You don't have to shoot anything. I got to the egg without shooting no, a single don't. thing. <laughs> got to the egg. <laughs> <laughs> I got yes. to the egg. I didn't shoot a single thing, and then I had to shoot the egg a bit. I wonder if there was anything. I wonder if there was any until I found myself shooting. Uh, no sense progression sort of thing. And I did wonder if there was any because it's just as uh, backgrounds. Just <laughs> it's, I was like Chevy Chase going around the roundabout. 
in uh in uh <laughs> look, european, <kids. laughs> european vacation look there's that black blob again there's that black, blob again. There's that black blob again there it is that black bob there it is and then suddenly an egg turned up and it was a golden human egg that reminded me of humpty dumpty what is this power-ups that you'd lose if you don't shoot all of the next annoying wave is one of the stupidest ideas i've ever come across <laughs> you mean a crl game <laughs> it's like because some of them when some of them waves are impossible to shoot yep. with, the, with the stuff you have so you instantly lost them and then when you get one you think oh I better use it and it blows you up <laughs> this is stupid it, it, it's, I don't get it who thought this was a good idea it's not so the, the, when you can say that the only thing that's interesting about a game is the ability to you know kamikaze yourself you've got a bad shoot em up <laughs> it's boring the worst crime to commit by a horizontal or any kind of shooter you know boring yeah, yeah, technically, it technically, there's some nice bits in it. Even if, like you said, it would have made CRL, so a CRT screen scream. But um, <laughs> oh, it's just boring. No, go play Catechist. Go play Armalite. Go play Salamander. Go play anything. God, I'd, rather play, I'd rather play Menace than this. Yeah, no. At least I got to a boss that spat spunk at me. More interesting, <laughs> this stupid egg. <laughs> I'm glad the egg didn't do that, actually. I'd be fair. <laughs> well, it'd be albumin, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, God. Horrible. Oh, he's dripping albumin at me. <laughs> oh, God. No. There you go. <laughs> God, I'm going to need to go and wash my mouth and eyes and face. Well, you want to know what's the inside the inner space of an egg? Don't. I don't want to know that. You do now. <laughs> anyway, inner space is crap. Forty-four percent. There's a there's a, there's some games in this episode that get the they get scores in the forties. This isn't the first. And it won't be the last. But they, they don't deserve mm. them. They don't no. deserve them. <laughs> they do not. They do not deserve them. Anyway, there you go. Inner space. We've still got one left this half. So let's move along to that. And that game is Gemini Wings. Gemini Ooh. Wings. Okay. In the never-ending line of scrolling shoot-up, arcade conversions comes Gemini Wings. Or Gemini Wing, I think it is. Originally from Tecmo and was released in 1987. In Japan, Graham, Game Machine listed Gemini Wing on their December 15th, 1987 issue as being the eighth most successful table arcade okay. unit of the month. Okay. <laughs> so it was behind than, uh, behind the story. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the arcades, this was a two-player vertical scroller. That makes a lot of sense now. With a weird power-up system that saw you collect and trail the power-ups behind you. They actually trail around on the screen behind you. It's weird. Oh, that's quite um, nice But here on the C64, that second player has been lost to the ether, and now it's just one player against the hordes of enemies that come down the screen at you. This was published by Virgin Mastertronic at full price and is copyright the sales curve and Tecmo. The developer was Imagitech Design, with code by Carl Wade, graphics by Warren Lancashire and Chris Edwards, and music by good old Basil Leach. Hey. Okay. There's an okay loading screen, I guess, to get things going, and a decent title screen. Good raster effect logo, I thought quite nice. Yeah, I quite like that. Um, Did it have a fox stood next to it? I think it did have a fox something different. It's got some weird, it's got an animal stood next to it, I think, hasn't it? Something like that. Um, It's got a high score in a brick wall for some reason when it flicks screens. I'm not quite sure why it's in a brick wall, (laughs) but you know, it is. It's nice. It looks good, though. And it's a good, actually, a pretty good piece of music here by Barry Leach. So Mm, good tune. Good presentation on this front end. Nice. There is a story to this. And it's one of those trying to be funny affairs. And it goes, and it goes thus. 
Die, mutant alien scum. Not the most friendly of newspaper headlines, you must agree, especially when it comes to promoting intergalactic relations. But then there has always been a so-called gutter element of hollow journalism. Not that anyone can remember what a gutter is these days, but the general feeling is that it was something rather unpleasant, if vaguely useful. I feel like someone's really trying to channel Douglas Adams. Um, And it was that heading, Die Mutant Alien Scum, that caused all the bother when it appeared in a space-wide hollow edition of the Sunday Spirit, either that or Red Dwarf. Um, After several centuries of reading Little Green Men Turned Me Into a Potato Stories, invented by Sunday Spirit journalists, aliens throughout space were beginning to get just a little bit fed up with humanity. Naturally, human diplomats did their best to repair the damage, but your average little green man standing reading the Sunday spirit on the top of a Venusian omnibus wasn't swayed. As time went on, he got more and more fed up with being slandered and vilified in the hollow outpourings of a small and insignificant bipedal race that lived on a dirty little planet in the Sol system. Now, if that's not straight out of Doug, um, Hitchhiker's Guide, I don't know what in. When the crazed Sunday spirit headline writer finally flipped his xenophobic lid and came up with the dying mutant alien scum as a front page lead story for the early edition on Tuesday, the clamour of outrage coming from the top of the omnibuses throughout the galaxy could be heard on Earth. Alien anger continued to mount, and by the middle of Wednesday morning, political leaders on every civilized world in the galaxy realized there was only one course of action open to them if they wanted to get re-elected by their people declare war on earth so by lunchtime that wednesday every civilized race in the galaxy had declared war on earth the human race and in particular all journalists working for the soon day spirit Expecting an easy victory in the game, Earth versus the rest of God's creations, alien hordes set out for the time-space adjacent to Earth and prepared to do battle with humanity's feeble space fleets. But they hadn't reckoned on the ingenuity of Earth's weapon scientists. They didn't realise that the Gemini Wing fighter project was already complete, and their spies had spent too much time on Earth chasing girlies and turning them into potatoes to report back on the development of awesome weapon systems such as the windscreen wiper of death. What at first seemed to be an easy victory for alien forces turned into a bitterly fought conflict, a space war that is still raging in several dimensions, which is about where you come in as the pilot of a Gemini wing fighter, pausing only to shout the battle cry of the crack GW regiment you belong to, die mutant alien scum, you leap into the control seat of your craft, warp to a vertically scrolling ether world and start fighting the good fight. Fair. Not funny, though. <laughs> it's just... Why? I'm pretty sure Tecmo didn't write that. They're just someone did. We, we, need to <laughs> yeah, have, we need to have a story for this. And someone wrote that. Whatever. Anyway, a stab at the fire button initiates the multi-load. And we must wait for the action to start. When it does, we get the usual view as our Gemini wing flies atop the clouds to meet the alien invasion. At the top, we have the score, high score, and the number of lives. And at the bottom, we have our power-ups. Power uh, they're down there instead of training us around. I think they're in the border. I think looks like they are. As we progress, relentless waves of various aliens head towards us and we need to shoot them. Jabbing the fire button fires the laser at them, but holding down the fire button will initiate the first of the power-ups in the line at the bottom. Kind of a weird mm. system. Interesting, Stupid. but a bit weird. These power-ups are three-way fireball, alien-seeking missiles, firewall, speed-up, spiraling circle of death, windscreen wiper of death, and an extra life. These are all represented by a different icon, and it's a good idea to learn what these are so you know what you're about to unleash. There's no way to change the order of these, so you just need to use whatever is there. That's a bit of a pain. The way you collect these is by killing various enemies who will drop the icons and you just fly over them. You can only have a maximum of eight, though. So beyond that, you won't be able to pick anything up without using what you have. If you make it to the end of a level, then you get to fight a boss. 
and then move on to the next level. Like the arcade, there are seven seven levels to fight through, each being a separate load, and should you make it through all the levels, then you get a nice credit sequence of you flying along. So, I mean, and that's it. It's a vertical scrolling shooter from the arcade. You just keep shooting, and stuff comes down, and you keep blasting, and that's it. It, It's It's uh, all An interesting power-up mechanic, all the levels of the arcade, but is it any good? Mm. Unfortunately, it's just, I mean, it's okay, I guess. It's okay. I don't like the power-up mechanic. I know it's inherited from the arcade, but I just don't think it works. Having no choice over what to unleash. For example, you start with three three three-way shots, but you have to use them all before you can use anything else. I don't, don't, this doesn't work for me. I want to choose my power-ups. Seems odd. When you die, any power-ups, like speed-ups, that might have been used are lost, even though any that you are holding and have not used will respawn so you can pick them up. That's a bit annoying. You lose your speed-ups. You lose anything you've sort of – any kind of cumulative stuff that you built into your ship, you lose. Anything you're carrying respawns. That's a bit of a pain. Mm. Uh, So this leaves you slower when you need to be a certain speed to try and take everything on, so on and so forth, that usual problem we get into these kind of shoot-em-ups. I also didn't particularly like the visuals. I think each individual component is quite well drawn, and there are some nice backdrops and the like. But when combined, it's far too busy on the eye and at times really hard to make out exactly what is going on. Mm. Couple this with some pretty egregious slowdown at times, especially when all your power-ups respawn when you die and there's a load of enemies on screen. Um, you know, you have some – this literally slows, slows to a crawl. It goes, you know, single single um, digit frames here. It's really bad. And you have some fairly big problems. You can't control your craft well enough to avoid death again. You can't pick anything up. You can't move fast enough. It, it, it just gets a bit, yeah, not good. And you just shoot stuff. You pick these power-ups up and it's, what? There's a boss and you move on. And uh. I, liked, I did like the music though. Each level has a different piece. Um, mm-hmm. But that's all there is. There could have been some sound effects. There's nothing in that area. But, you know, the music is all right. And I could, could quite like that. I do like it when games in a genre try something new. So I applaud this for that. But I don't think it really works here. The muddy and the C64 version, anyway, it might work in the arcade better because you're trailing the power ups and there's two players. And two players is always going to be better when you're working with the buddy and stuff like that. It felt yeah, like yeah. a bit of a sort of a. I mean, at its heart, it's 1941, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Principally. It, th- that's, that's what this is. It's a 1941 variant, um, and and yeah. it feels like that. And so that's yeah. what it is. But it's not. A, it's it's just another one of them. It's a few years down the line. It's a 1941 variant. It's not terrible. Um, I guess when it's re-released at a budget price in a couple of years, which it will be doing, it might be worth it. I th- yeah, a couple of quid for this, you'd probably be happy with that, maybe. But at full price, against some much better uh, games in the genre, even if we're talking the vertical scrolling ones, things like Terra Cresta, Slap Fight, Light Force, just off the top of my head. There's probably others that I can't remember. But this doesn't stand up to scrutiny, I'm afraid. It's just, it's, I, did, I don't know, it, it's, it's too awkward to play and there's too much sort of egregious slowdown. And I think that mm-hmm. that stupid story doesn't really do anything because it's just a vertical scrolling 1941 style shoot up. That's probably you know is what it is. What did you think? <laughs> I think this could have been something really interesting. I think, yeah, but it was hampered by some problems that, that seemed insurmountable for it. So visuals for a start, I think they're probably some of the most garish I've ever seen, or at least seen in quite a while. So the the way that they sort of have sprites on top of the backgrounds. I mean, you know, coming off the back of inner space as well, it was just a bit like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, where you've exactly. got you know, invisible ships fighting invisible aliens on complex backgrounds, all medium rares, all relatively nicely coloured, but just no colours that actually make sense in any way. So, mm-hmm. you know, not since Jeff Minter games have I been so overwhelmed with kind of crazy colour. I'm like, ah, oh, God, it's just a bit much. And then there's the terrible 
sprite multiplexing. So as soon as the screen gets complicated, you know, things start to flicker and twitch. And I'm like, these are inexcusable things to happen in a game that's completely reliant on that one thing. The yep. one thing that needs to work, two things, actually. Um, so the main, the key things for a game like this, smooth scrolling. And if you can't manage smooth scrolling, then at least have a good frame rate and flicker-free sprites. And if you can't manage that, then you're in trouble. So this yeah. one doesn't manage it. So, it, you know, the screen gets overwhelmed and you think, oh, this could be great because there's plenty of action going on, plenty of things to shoot at, and then flicker, flicker, judder, judder. And, and it isn't just the, you know, the odd little flickering sprite. This is the entire screen juddering and slowing down. It's just not yeah. coping with it. Nope. So you're getting, you know, Vic chip lock here. You know, it's, it's just locking out. That's a problem, isn't it? So, and I thought maybe it's a quirk of the version I played. It's not. I've checked in the arcade, checked in some of the comments on Lemon. Everyone says the same thing. You know, nice design graphics, but, you know, just don't put them all on the screen at once and hope that you can get away with it on a C64. Because unless you've got some clever, clever multiplex coding going on, you know exactly how to do that. Archer McLean, I'm looking at you. Um, then then you're going to be in trouble. So the result of all this, you know, somewhat stroboscopic and actually almost the tattoos that 2001 Beyond the Infinite times sort of <laughs> gameplay. Um, well, it's just a twitchy thing and it, did, it didn't need to be. It's a great shame. I think less is more on this would have actually helped them. So, yeah. you know, or, or think about how you use characters better and how you just do better shaped backgrounds and just think about how you're going to do it. But, you know, they didn't rely on that kind of logic. A great shame, I think, because this looked like it had a lot going from it from the beginnings. Nicely designed backgrounds and sprites, good music, but the code simply cannot handle the game that play that's required and the net result well it's a bit of a flickery stuttery mess and which i found quite annoying after a while and i have to say combine that with the difficulty and the weird way you do upgrades and you've got a bad recipe you've got a bad recipe for the game it got 69 percent, didn't it i felt that's i think it's a bit high i'd have given it around the around the inner space 50 percent, 40 50 percent. yeah maybe, yeah. maybe not th- even that i think it's high as well i got 65 i think overall but yes yeah, 60 is too high for this i think there's too many. There's too many technical issues. Yeah, there is. Yeah, like it's just it's just flawed. Wrong, no, it's 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 a little bit buggy. Um, yeah. Uh, well, a lot a lot of bit buggy, and just there's so many games of this type that aren't. You know, you can't afford to be that in a, in a sea of great shoot 'em ups, um, of which there's loads now. And um, you can't afford to be this average, and you can't afford to be this flickery and buggy because there's just other ones that aren't that are either the same price or less. So, yeah. sorry, Gemini Wing, but yeah. you're going to have to wing off. Yeah, it was 65%. That's my mistake on the on the agenda. It's actually 69 was what the Amiga got. Can they have them on the same page now? Oh, no, so. Bloody can't even get that right. <laughs> I know. That's it. That's been one good game and two spiky whatever's eggs. We're going to go take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got TV and film to look at for September mm. 1989. I'm sure that will be a great time for all. So we will see you in a moment. And we're back. Let's get straight in. TV. What was going on? British TV, September 1989. Well, 3rd of September, BBC One aired the television film Bomber Harris, a drama based on the life of Arthur Harris and starring John Thor in the eponymous role. Okay. There we go. This was the World War II life and history of Air Chief Marshal Sir Arthur Bomber Harris, who was Commander-in-Chief of RAF Bomber Command. He took Bomber Command from a minor, undermanned, badly equipped, low-priority unit to one of the most potent forces of the war all while struggling against superiors who had different priorities and against misguided agitators who had misgivings on how the war was being conducted. I think that might be from his autobiography, but uh, what do I know? (laughs) I don't know much about um, Air Chief Marshal Sir Arthur Bomber Harris. For some reason, I know the name. I knew Chopper Harris. He was a footballer. Yeah, I I just don't know much about it. And Air Chief Marshal, that makes me think immediately of um, that uh, sci-fi movie with all the giant bugs in it. 
Oh, uh, uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah, it reminds me of Starship Troopers. Yeah, the Air Chief Marshals. Isn't somebody in that the Air Marshal Steward or something like that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite possibly. Anyway, yeah. So, but literally nothing to do with the you know the trials and tribulations of World War Two Bomber Command. But I imagine that's yeah. probably there's a niche you know audience for that. Yeah, but there you go. Not, not, I wasn't that niche audience at the time. No, I, know, I don't remember it. Thirteenth uh, September, the BBC is accused of censoring censorship. <laughs> sorry, after banning an interview with Simon Haywood, he's a former <laughs> captain of the lifeguard who spent several years in a Swedish prison after a drug smuggling conviction. Just hours before he's due to appear on the Wogan show, the decision taken by BBC One controller Jonathan Powell followed protests from several MPs. The BBC says the subject is not appropriate for a family program, but will be discussed on other shows such as Play School. And uh, <laughs> well, he's captain of the lifeguards, isn't that just somebody who works at a swimming pool? What's the controversy? He's <laughs> obviously he wanted to come on and talk are about they, drugs, are, I guess. Are they an important part of the armed forces or something? The lifeguards, <laughs> I don't know. He was just... in prison for drugs, <laughs> yeah. You got the uh, you got the you know, the army, the navy, the lifeguards, the lifeguard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very, very important part of the uh, of the uh, coastal protection system. Do you, you have know. your army issue, or your sorry, your lifeguard issue, life boy, and whistle? <laughs> <laughs> now, go distribute the posters, the posters of, of swimming pool etiquette. <laughs> distribute them far and wide. No bombing, no, heavy petting. No bomber Harris. <laughs> <laughs> They're not allowed to talk about it. Well, this is classic, though. It's like the BBC is accused of censorship. <laughs> accused. Well, it did censor him. It exactly. The BBC were always censoring stuff all the time and still do. So. Yeah, they do. There we go. Uh, finally, 28th September, Sybil Rusko and Jenny Powell are the first female duo to present Top of the Pops on BBC One. It's shocking that it's taken to 1989 for that to happen. Yeah, I know. It's terrible, isn't it? Shocking. Yeah, it really, it's really bad. Because, you know, yeah. cause they, they were busy, you know, we know who was all the various presenters on that show, and some of them weren't good people. They were not good people. So. I mean, that's one way no. to describe them. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm trying not, because I don't want to go too far into it, you know, but, no, you know, triggers people, doesn't it, that kind of thing, and I don't want to do that, but just, just, it just and amazed me that it took to 1989 for, for them to have, you know, two female presenters on the show, like, like yeah. it's just crazy. I know. Unbelievable. Bloody I know. And you can, we've, got a li- we've got a link here that we'll post for the, uh, the chart rundown. I'm so tempted, by the way, to put that music underneath the game charts. I think I might do that when you do the game charts. In one, we've got the so-and-so, so-and-so. Yeah, I might do that, actually. I think we should. Do it. Do it. New shows for the month. 2nd of September, Saracen. Did you watch any of this? I watched the introductory sequence. It looked quite boring, even though it wants to be dead exciting, because it wants to be like some kind of... In the pilot episode, the action concentrated on SAS Major David Barber, who resigns his commission right. after being forced to undertake a badly planned hostage rescue. Probably what we were doing last week in hostages. He was uh, headhunted yes. by elite private security company Saracen Systems and is partnered <laughs> up with an Australian ex-army sergeant, Jack Kahn. Uh, Saracen Systems operate at home and abroad, usually Africa, but could only carry firearms when on foreign missions. Right. Glossy, expensive yeah. film production. I watched that intro. That's not one way I would describe it. No, no. Just, you know, we'll agree that it was film production of some kind, but expensive and glossy? Hmm. Yeah, no. I didn't watch this, and I don't even have a memory of this. Never heard of it. No, I don't. And by this point, I'm totally picking what I watch now, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 3rd of September, we had 21 Jump Street start on the UK, in the UK. I remember the name, but I don't remember ever watching it. Okay, but do you, do you know who starred in it? One of the stars no. in this went on to much bigger things. The rest, not so much. Is Johnny it, Depp. Um, 
Oh, okay. Mr. Depp started his, his uh, well, yeah. this, is where, this is where he kind of, this was his springboard to fame, shall we say. He had to start somewhere. He had to start somewhere. He did. It was an American police procedure. This It sounds really weird. You watch it as well. It's like two young cops, but they're cops. So it's Johnny Depp. They're men. Uh, basically, focus on a squad of youthful-looking undercover police officers investigating crimes in schools. Sounds yeah, a bit. Du- sounds a bit dubious to me. Is it a kids' show or something? No, or? it's a police procedural. I don't know what it is. There was a te- right, there was yeah. a film of it made, wasn't there? With uh, what's his face, John? Not John Cena. Was it John Cena? What's no, John Cena? the other guy, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum right, and, and the other guy. I'll take your word for it. I don't know. I thought it was a Christmas film. So <laughs> no, there's two of them. I think. Uh, anyway, fifth of September, French Fields. Ugh, no, Ugh. no. <laughs> Sequel continuation of the series, Fresh Fields. Anton Rogers and Julia McKenzie. Oh. No, I can imagine them winning their BAFTA for their ingenuity, <laughs> but no, no. Um, I bet this was something my mum watched. I bet your mum might have liked this as well. Probably. Yeah, across the world. Yeah, middle class, middle aged, let you say. Middle of the road, bloody rubbish. Yeah, no. rubbish. Unless they're running over hedgehogs or something controversial, it wouldn't be on my, <laughs> it wouldn't have been on my radar at this point. Eighth uh, of September was Challenge Annika. Oh, God, what is going on? No wonder I tuned out a TV. Uh, for those who don't know, who don't know what Challenge Annika is, it was the sort of continuation of Treasure Hunt. Annika Rice yeah. was a big name in the eighties in sort of Channel Four TV. She was sort of. She'd get shouted at to run around the UK and find things mm. um, in Treasure Hunt. It was kind of a weird program. It was like two people in the studio had an hour to work out clues and send yeah. her around, send her around the sort of Middle England yeah, finding these is, places. This was before we were worried about the uh, carbon footprint of people. So she was flying around in a helicopter and <laughs> yeah, stuff constantly, constantly um, in the air in a helicopter, like you know. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, so this was basically that. But what this was was she was challenged to do something in like two or three days, like I don't know, build a farm or something, digest um, but- an ostrich egg whole, <laughs> yeah, things like that. Challenge. She had to be really <laughs> challenged. Yeah, <laughs> that took her ages. She could like dis- hand well, strangle a gorilla. Well, she was known for being able <laughs> to dis- dis- dislocate a bottom jaw. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, that's how she could swallow an ostrich egg. Okay. Yeah, well, it's Challenge Annika. So, you know, <laughs> in all fairness, you know, the fact that she broke her own jaw to do that is neither here nor there, is it? <laughs> Just get on with the Challenge Annika, but it really hurts. Of course it does. <laughs> this is Challenge Annika. You've got to be challenged. Now get on with the challenge. Challenge. Make with the breaking of the jaw. Get on with it. <laughs> That was the producer. He was quite an aggressive break, fellow. Break. <laughs> <laughs> Children would stand around and dance. Uh, 10th of September, screen one. Came back. Well, actually, no, it started, but this was kind of a follow-on from earlier BBC sort of play for today type stuff and mm. things like that. Total of six were broadcast, incorporating sixty individual films. Wow, I know several of which were broadcast. Of them more boring than the last. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, each were each of which I never watched. Nope, <laughs> no, not ever. Tenth of September, it's Stardust. <laughs> This guy had no currency in opposition or right to be in 1989 on TV. Who didn't? Alvin's bloody stardust, that's who. <laughs> he did not. He should have so, stayed in the 70s where he was permanently you know, resident, clearly. <laughs> Alvin Stardust hosted his own Sunday morning children's TV series on ITV called It's Stardust, which I hope that's the, the logo. It features stories, songs, poems, jokes and also cartoons and shows for younger children including the adventures of parsley little miss and satellite city nobody ever wanted that (laughs) 
Nobody wanted that show. And if it's called It's Sternos, I hope he smashes through a door with an axe at the beginning and pokes it through like Jack Torrance in The Bloody Shining. Yeah, but the thing is, sort of thing, you take him like, all you all you get through is his quiff. Oh, God, his hair is, is ridiculous. Do you know, and he had a, like a powerful ring, and I mean one on his finger. He had a powerful ring on Yeah, yeah, he's famous. If you look at videos of him, he has this like, he always, this really, he was a singer. He was a 70s yeah, glam rock singer, wasn't he? Yeah. Then he had this really weird way of holding his microphone. He sort of held it in like a, I can't explain it. It's like he hooked his hand and held it downwards. So it's kind of like that and sang it into upwards. It's really weird. The stardust hook. And then he would periodically, he would look at the camera and he'd point his finger and go like that and go, and he'd have his big ring on his little finger. It's weird. You can you can YouTube that all day long. You'll find it. It's there. It's crazy. Be careful what you search for if you, start, if you search for Alvin Stardust ring. Yeah, yeah, you might, you know, you might get more than your bag of it. And also remember that he was on the, uh, he did a load of ad, not adverts, a load of safety adverts, didn't he, on TV UK TV for crossing the road? Hey, you, are you out of your tiny little mind? That was him. <laughs> did, did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bog off. <laughs> are you out of your tiny mind? You get, get lost, big hair. <laughs> Absolutely. I probably would have come up with a better insult than that. I was pushed for time at the time. Absolutely. What decade have you time travelled from? <laughs> The best decade, the seventies. Found a picture of him in a one-piece crazy suit. <laughs> you are. I wish I hadn't found it now because it's it's the zip's too far down. It's disturbing me. <laughs> Looking at it now, I'm like, no, no, that, that nobody should have a one-piece on a man where he's where it's down to his belly button or his belly, you know, his belly button on the zip. That's no. that's, that's gonna if he stretches his arms out, that's gonna go down to his appetite, and I don't want that. <laughs> He's pale no underneath does. it as well. He's got no. He's so pale. He doesn't have that zip open very much because he's got no. He's got no tan. He's pale like a. He's pale like a landed fish. God's sake! Give that guy a vitamin D injection. Thirteenth <laughs> of September, uh, <laughs> we were inundated with uh, stuff. Bodger and badger. <laughs> I okay, so I have to explain what that is. <laughs> it's the exploits of Simon Bodger and his puppet companion Badger. Four-year-old, badly behaved, but friendly and cheerful badger with a proclivity for mashed potato and huge mess. <laughs> you know, I'm sure somebody told him what badgers look like because <laughs> that ain't no badger I've ever seen. It looked like what it looked like a badger that had been in like a, a proper you no know, fist fight, like, and it didn't win. It didn't win the fight. You know, it was up against some you know some hardcore you know person who, who was used to doing that kind of thing, and he got beaten up badly. His eyes are all over the place. It's no, it's bad. It's bad. not good. Uh, also, 13th September, if you didn't fancy a bit of Bodger and Badger, you could have had Fantastic Max. Oh, they're running out of names for, te- for kids' TV shows, aren't they? This is an American import, I think, of some horrible description. No. It's, a, it's a baby. The song the song at the beginning goes on about diapers a lot. Fantastic Max sounds like a sex toy. <laughs> so and that's, not, that's as much as I'm saying on that subject. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, 13th September, you could have also watched The Best of Magic. That is the lamest name for a magic show of all time, isn't it? It's the best. There could be no better. They could have called it, you know, the magic of something. There's a million ways you could name it. What should we call this? I don't know. Just call it the best of magic and get on with it. All right. Bloody hell, Paul. Jeez. <laughs> uh, we don't want to watch that. Had Anthony Turner on it. Free, frequent guest appearances by Arturo Brachetti and Max Maven. It's very famous magicians, aren't they, then? I don't know. Oh, I don't. I just thought you might. <laughs> I've never heard of them. No, man. Be <laughs> you remember them, Brachetti and Maven. They're the new Penn and Teller. <laughs> I didn't know Simon Mayer was a magician, though. And if he I is, why didn't he call himself Simon Magician? Because... Oh, Magic Simon. <laughs> I don't know, because he's he's made of mayo. Uh, 14th September, the Poddington Peas. Oh, God's sake. I'm glad I'd grown up by this point, because this is crap. It's like a shit Smurfs. 
is, yeah. Who, who thought it was a good idea to anthropomorphize garden peas? Who, who thought that was a good idea? Someone go, you know what? We've never made characters out of peas. It's that advert. There was that advert about peas, wasn't there? There was the advert yeah. for peas. Give, which, give peas a chance. I don't know what it was, but then this is this. And then they've got you've got this. <laughs> it's like a crap Smurfs. There's this female pea. Um, yes, which is the you know Smurfette. It's essentially that that again. It's just it's just you know there's an old one, there's a sunny one, there's a this one. They're just Smurfs, a mushy one. Peas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a garden one. <laughs> there's a petty petty one. <laughs> Someone threw um, bicarbonate soda and salt over them, and that was the end of that. There's a broad one. That. Oh, no, that's beans. I hate the Smurfs as well. I hate them. I hate the Smurfs. Yeah, no it. one does. No one likes them. Um, well, Gargamel didn't like them either. To be fair, so that's fair. Also, 14th September there was Clockwise uh, Kids yes. Quiz Show. I watched no. a bit of this and I was like, I watched the intro and this woman came on and went, hello, it's clockwise. I was like, I'm off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't hang around. <laughs> uh, 15th September, Act of Will. Oh, Lord. God. Uh, a 1989 miniseries directed by Don Sharp and based on the 1986 novel by Barbara Taylor Bradford. Third miniseries based on a Bradford novel Sharp had directed and was an early lead role for Elizabeth Hurley. It was the last directing credit for Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bit that that's what it said in the wiki. It was like, wow, that's bleak. What happened? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, maybe uh, didn't <laughs> for, make it. For, for this director, no more. <laughs> yeah, Liz Hurley, of course, you know, curly whirly Hurley. Yeah, so she was. 19th September, The Paradise Club. Oh. <sighs> the, <laughs> this made <laughs> me laugh. It's, it's a BBC television crime drama series. Just pick the cliches, broadcast. Uh, the series starred Don Henderson and Leslie Grantham as Frank and Danny Kane, siblings oh, who are in a nightclub from their mother, Ma Kane, <laughs> a matriarch of a criminal South London gang after she tragically dies. Ma oh. Kane. <laughs> McCain. She, she pulled up a fight. McCain, ma, 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 ma. I thought McCain made chips. <laughs> they do make chips. <laughs> this is terrible. It's so, oh, so bad. Frank and Danny Kane. Can you oh. imagine the drama? Well, the light bulbs has gone out on the sign. What? <laughs> I thought it was your job to get the light bulbs. <laughs> get Pigeon in here now. Pigeon, get that light fixed. All right, Dave, I've got some light bulbs in the back. No, you haven't, mate. No, you haven't. <laughs> I used them. In a <laughs> in a sock to beat up, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to beat up chocolate need- Harris the other day. Oh, the Paradise yeah. Club. We, we could have re- we could have written it, and we probably did. We probably did. Nineteenth uh, of September. <laughs> Look and read through the dragon's eye. <laughs> <laughs> the story of a young man that ate the world's hottest curry and paid the price. <laughs> <He> did <laughs> more like looking red. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Um, 26th, 25th September, Streetwise. Drama oh. about the lives of a team of bicycle couriers in London. Had Andy Serkis in this. Yeah, he played one of the bicycles. <laughs> he's a very mate. talented guy. <laughs> he's very talented. Yeah, it was all CG. He just, uh, he just, <laughs> he just rolled his arms. How would he play oh, a bicycle? What, <laughs> what are you going to make for <laughs> the seat, Andy? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I was right about that saddle. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the seat. Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry, didn't know. Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> I watched yeah. an episode of this. Well, I sort of no. caught a bit of it. Dull. No. 26th September, Capital City. <laughs> oh, God's sake. It sounds like the most boring show ever made. Focused on the professional personal lives of a group of investment bankers working in the dealing room at Shane Longman, a fictional international bank based in the city of London. <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street, it ain't. <laughs> it's like the sheep of Snortown. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Goodness it's me. Boring. 27th September, you could have watched The Wisdom of the Gnomes. <laughs> why, why would you want to watch that? 
uh, wisdom of the gnomes, Spanish, La Clamada de los Nomos, literally oh. Call of the Gnomes, is the first okay. spin off of the world of what? David the Gnome. <laughs> what the hell was that? Well, I don't know. In this series, the protagonist is a gnome called Klaus, a judge a.k.a. Wise Man Klaus, who travels okay. with his assistant Danny on Henry the Swan, trying to solve disputes and lawsuits between animals right. peacefully and wisely. Okay, so they were doing <laughs> doses of crack. <laughs> and he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gnome and he flies on a swan. <laughs> Why do they always ask for glass mirrors and credit cards when they do this, when they're writing these shows? We don't know. We're not allowed in the room at the same time. We're just there tapping, snorting, and they're all very happy. <laughs> All very happy, and then they come out with a story about gnomes. Yeah, they come out, wipe, yeah, they come out wiping their noses and sneezing a lot. I don't get it. I don't. Finally, twenty eighth September, Blackadder goes forth. Hey, a good show. <laughs> yes, finally. Um, yes, I mean Blackadder goes forth is excellent. We've we've not really, like you said, we because uh, it made me think. Have we all talked about them? But then you've noted me a uh, Blackadder one was nineteen eighty three. Too early. early. Yeah. Blackadder two was nineteen eighty six. Yeah, we did. We, talk- we didn't really mention about TV back then. No, so we didn't. the same way. No. Um, we mentioned it in episode 63, Blackadder the Third. Yep. But, we but again, we, we talked a little detailed. bit about Blackadder 2 when we mentioned the third one as well. At that yeah, time. yeah. And now we've got Blackadder Goes Forth, which was the uh, based around the First World War, wasn't it? It was, yes. And considered, the last uh, last episode of it is considered something of a TV sort of super classic. It really is, yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very really, good. Yeah, very, very good. Very good show, actually. And some, I think, outside of the second one, it's my favourite Blackadder. Because I really like Blackadder's second. But. Yeah, I mean, I like two, two, three, and four. I think they're all, they're all got their demerits. Um, yeah, yeah Blackadder's yeah, the first one's too weird. And we probably said this, but yeah, fourth is really good. The the but it does a really good job of like you know the, the sort of cliche, but the sort of inanity and the stupidity and the pointlessness mm. of war. Um, yes, it does. Um, but yeah, and that last episode is particularly poignant, and then it fades off, doesn't it, to the um, is it the Flanders Fields, the poppies, and yeah, stuff. yeah, and the poppies and stuff, the, the explosions. It's a very, it's a classic ending, but it's a really great show as well. Blackadder goes for yeah, some really, really, really funny episodes of that. Yeah, so, there we go. Good. So finally, we got something good to watch. Yeah, after all that month. rubbish. Yeah, after a terrible load of shit. Films wise, well, it started off with a bit of a comedy. First of <laughs> yeah. September, we've got see no evil, hear no evil. You did. You you're did. a massive fan of it. Yeah, it was you and Gary were always much more of a fan of this than I particularly was, but yeah. you were always quoting this hugely. Well, I really liked, I always liked um, Gene Wilder. I still like Gene Wilder films to this day. All, I always do. Now, I like them all. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually liked Richard Pryor. Now, I liked it when they did they did the film together way back in the day, which was... Oh, uh, Stir Crazy. Yeah, yeah. I loved, yeah, I loved Stir Crazy. I thought it was great. Now, Stir Crazy is brilliant up until the last act, but, but it's Gene Wilder and... Richard Pryor, when they're in the parts together, when they're going into the prison, those yeah, yeah. parts, it's like really, really funny. And they've just worked well together. So I was really looking forward to this film. And the actual premise of the film is quite funny. So obviously one of them, one of them's deaf and one of them's blind. Yeah. They, they inadvertently get involved in a sort of a high-tech hijinks with a sort of a, a, a gang who's headed by a sort of an evil tyrant and a, serial, a sort of a hired killer and his sort of you know fancy female assistant. Who are basically trying to get hold of this coin that's got this sort of special properties, which is like a some kind of um, superconductor or something like that. Anyway, for, for long and short of it all is that the deaf guy and the blind guy who end up working together end up getting embroiled in a lot of trouble, and they think that they've killed somebody, so they go on the run. They're in the police station, they manage to escape, and they go on the run from the police, and they're actually just trying to sort of find out who did what. But one of them's blind, obviously, one of them's deaf, and so you can just imagine there's loads of stupid shenanigans. Now, it would have been funny without that, actually. There could have just been Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder doing funny stuff. But some of the sequences in it, it doesn't all hold together really well, but some of the sequences in it are really, really, really funny. Um, it's got um, 
what's her name's in it as well, isn't it? I think it's uh, it's a she became quite a famous actress, sort of a glamorous actress. The woman in it, um, I can't remember her name now. Um, she, Joan Severance. She's in quite a couple of things like that. It's got Kevin Spacey in it, of course, as well. Yeah, in one of his one of his first roles, I think actually, one of the, yeah. one, certainly one of his early ones. Anyway, it's got so, Alan North. Yeah, it does. But the reason why I like it is because it really appeals to my sense of humour. Um, just because they this some of the situations they're in are so stupid and dumb. But they they managed to convey their their personalities and their humour through it. So Richard Pryor kind of plays Richard Pryor, but being kind of blind. And there's some nice poignant moments in that. And then there's Gene Wilder in there, and he's sort of he's the deaf guy in it, so he's playing deaf guy. And then they sort of just the way they have this interplay. And they, at one point they're being interviewed by this policeman, and he's because he's looking at one guy who's reading his lips, and the deaf guy can't hear him. He keeps asking questions, and they and they can't answer. And it's just stupid stuff like that appeals to yeah. me. Yeah, I was I was more of a fan of Stay Crazy myself, but but there's loads of one-liners as well. That's kind of the key. And Gene Wilder plays that kind of character really well. Just you have to watch it. I mean, me describing it's not funny as watching. Let's go watch it. Very good. If you didn't fancy going and have a laugh, you could have watched Cousins. I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it. Two couples go to a mutual friend's wedding and end up swapping partners. Yeah, it's Joel, one of those. Yeah. Joel Schumacher film. Yeah, which doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> no, but he had a varied filmography. He did very much so. <laughs> Um, 8th of September, you could have gone seen Sex, Lies and Videotape. Oh, God, this video <laughs> drive me mad because everybody was asking for it in the bloody video shop all the time. It was a bit of a big deal at the time, I seem to remember, for for reasons, I guess. Because people thought it was raunchier than it actually was, yeah. so that's why. It was his first Up against film, the world where the alleyway sex in it, didn't it? Bound yeah. to have. Steven Soderbergh's first full film. Yeah, um, that doesn't mean I'm, it's good. No, I, I mean, I, I'm a, I like some Soderbergh stuff. Contagion's good, Ocean's Eleven, Side Effects, Unsane. They're all yeah. quite decent. Unsane's interesting, yeah. so it's filmed on an iPhone. Yeah, but, yeah, that's, that's all well and good, but that's not this pretentious piece of shit we're talking about. No, um, James Spader and stuff, in it. I, I, yeah, mm. I, I remember watching this going, I don't I don't get what the fuss is. Uh, Spader's always watchable, but it's just, no, no. I just remember the video box. I remember people going, you got that sex lies in the videotape. Because <laughs> people always ask for it wrong. <laughs> no. You've got the sex, so, the lies, and the tape. This before this was this actually ruled the roost of people getting the title wrong, but nearly getting it right. <laughs> this one until Reservoir Dogs came along when it finally came out in video. Then it was, have you got that Reservoir of the Dogs? Have you got that Reservoir with dogs in it? And so it went on. <laughs> I thought Trust it'd be. Uh, I thought people would get the Milagro Beanfield War wrong more than this. But... Never, nobody ever rented it. <laughs> <laughs> nobody ever asked for the Milagro Beanfield you know, we, War. We put, that was the first film we put out on sell through. Nobody ever bought that in all the time I worked in that shop, and that was years. Nobody ever bought it. In fact, at one point, we ended up with about seven copies. Remember when they used to ship, Blockbuster, they used to ship sell-through videos, that videos that had gone from rental to sale. They used to ship them around the UK, and, and they always, the Malacca Beanfield always ended up in Grimsby. And we ended up with about nine of them. I'm like, what are we going to do with all these Beanfield war copies? Can't give war. them away. So we didn't know what to do with them. We're like, should we just strategically place them everywhere in the video shop so people think it's really good? <laughs> Still no must one got them. Must be good they've got nine copies. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, if you didn't fancy Sex, Lies and Videotape, you could have gone see The Fly 2. Be afraid. Be very afraid, wasn't it? Yeah. Again. Yeah. Uh, so this was Eric Stoltz, wasn't it? As the It was. As the offspring of Mr. Seth Brundle and Gina Davis, I presume, from the first film. And Yes, that's he, correct. During the sex that they have after he's been yeah. flied. Yeah. So he's got flied DNA and it's, he has changes. a gross fly birth in it, doesn't it? So, it yeah. does, yeah. Head guy gets his head squished by an elevator. Oh, uh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's pretty grim, actually. Gruesome film. Fly it's a, yeah, it is a gruesome film. It's. 
it's what it is. It's a knockoff of the first. It's not as good. Nowhere near um, as good. Nowhere near, Nowhere as, near good. as good. Very, um, very gory. Very but, gory. Yeah, yeah, for the time. Yeah, Jackknife. Also, you could have gone and seen that. You ever yeah. seen this De Niro no, film? No, I've seen the video box loads. <laughs> Did it sit next to Milagro <laughs> Beanfield? Yeah, <before? laughs> it won't fire off. <laughs> Two Vietnam vets search for the strength to face up to their horrific war experiences, but their friendship begins to splinter when one becomes romantically involved with the other's sister. Mm. I don't think I don't think I've ever seen it. No, no, I don't know. But no, I, I might mean, check De Niro, it out though. De Niro's big sort of Vietnam thing is the deer hunter, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And he's but he's always watchable in stuff. He is, you know? he, he is. But he's. He, I like the way he says shoes as well. These shoes, shoes. Is it says shoes? <laughs> don't mean the films are good though. Um, if he says shoes, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> These shoes, <laughs> Jack shoes. <laughs> Should have named it that. We'd have all watched it. Fifteenth September, <laughs> uh, Lethal Weapon Two. Ah, uh, timely that this has come out recently, isn't it? Really? Uh, um, yeah, is it? Why? With the, de- with the death of Joss Ackland died uh, last week. Oh, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And of course, uh, he's famously in this with his diplomatic immunity. <laughs> he's got quite a South African accent in this. It's very strong. Very strong. <laughs> the accent is strong with this one. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, it's a great film, though, Lethal Weapon 2. It's my favourite of all of them, actually. Yeah, it's a film about gilders, isn't it? They're trying to smuggle gilders or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, there's a brutality to Lethal Weapon 2, which is, until you rewatch it, which I've done recently... And I forgot how brutal it actually is. It's really quite a, quite dark in places, that film. Yeah, because he gets with, uh, what's her face, don't he? Patsy Kensett. Is it Patsy Kensett? Yeah, yeah, she gets drowned. She gets drowned and he walks around in tears on his beach. It, it, it's horrible, that bit, because it's the way he finds out, because they chuck him in the river and they put him in a straight, straight jacket and chuck him in the river like and tie his ankles down and he manages to break his shoulder because he can dislocate his shoulder yeah, yeah, and he yeah. breaks out of it. And then when he swims out and turns around, he sees Aero down there. It's just... It's quite, quite. It's unusual for a film of that type to have that level of brutality in it. Yeah, I suppose. Very good, it is. Very good. Who directed it? Is a good it film. Actually, and the thing is, it's the first one with uh, Joe Pesci as well, isn't it? Oh, it's Richard Donner. That's why it's brutal. Yeah, Joe Pesci as well, isn't it? There's Leo. Yeah, okay, Leo okay, Getz. okay. Leo Getz. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, and he's great in that because that's totally yeah. not the character you'd think he would be. Um, and of course, it's got the you know, it's the one where. Uh, Mel Gibson's character's a little bit quirky funny, not quirky kind of mental. He's still on that trajectory, but it pl- he plays it better. He's, I mean, his hair is crazy bouffant, isn't it? But it, he's still, <laughs> yeah, he's got massive. Patrick Swayze, you know, roadhouse hair. So and that's and that's big <laughs> hair, you know. Roadhouse. But it's, it is a great film, Lethal Weapon 2. If you didn't fancy that, you could have gone seen Talk Radio. Um, Do you know, I watched this I realized I've never seen it as well. I, I mean, it's shocking, I've, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, it's an Oliver Stone film. I watched it for the for another podcast I, I did, which was uh, the Kill It With Fire podcast. If anyone hasn't listened to that, it's on YouTube. You can go watch that. It's a film it was a podcast I did when I was back at my old job. Um, and we discussed this on there. Um, it's Eric Bogosian. It's a shock jock, and it was based on his play. I think it's based on a true story. I want to say it is. I know we did some research this, but it was it way ages ago. But um, yeah, he gets, I'm not going to say, but it's a, It's essentially, it's a shock jock who winds up his audience to a point of, you know, where, where yeah, everything things go, spirals things out of control. Serious turn, yeah. yeah. And he's not a particularly nice person. It sort of delves into his backstory about how he got his job and how he's not particularly, how he just uses everyone around him and things like that. It's, it's you know. It's not particularly good, but it's, 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 it's an Oliver Stone film, so it's it's solid. If anything, you know, it's a, yeah, it is yeah. a it is a very good film. But um, Apartment Zero, you could also go and see that on fifteenth September. This mm, this could've. this set in modern day Buenos Aires, the film centers around a relationship between two emotionally crippled roommates. 
Adrian LeDuc is a lonely sociopath who is forced to rent out his insane mother's yeah. room because of poor ticket sales at his revival movie theatre. Jack Carney, Good. the new roommate, appears normal enough at first, but soon becomes apparent that he's hiding something. As their friendship develops, Adrian suppresses suspicions that Jack might be government, be the government mercenary turned serial killer who has been terrorising the city. Wow. The other eccentric residents of the building begin to worry as Adrian shows increasing signs that his mother's insanitary may be hereditary. The shocking climax of this twisted tale is deceit, perversion, and murder reveals the darker side of the human psyche. Mm, okay. <laughs> Sounds complex. Sounds very complicated, yeah. Bit deep, that. Yeah. Never heard yeah. of it, though. Never watched it. No, never watched it. Who's in it? Don't know. Yeah, okay. Uh, I can tell you, if you want me to tell you, it is stars Hart Bochner, Colin Firth, and Dora Bryan. Oh, well, there you go. I don't watch Colin Firth movies, so I make my <laughs> excuses I, I, and leave. Yeah, I've sworn off Hart Bochner films. Um Never seen a good one since uh, Bockner lives or any of those. <laughs> Strangely enough, he's in Die Hard. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. 22nd of September, you could have gone seeing Dead Poets Society. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, you was a big fan of this at the time, weren't you? I, I was. Um, I, 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 was I mean, Peter, it's Peter Weir in it. It's a very good film. I mean, maybe it's of its time. I don't know. But it's, a, I mean, what was I, 17 watching this? So it's a film about rebellion, not fitting in, being different, parental pressure, coming of age, mm. all those kind of things set around having a teacher who is like, you know, your kind of mentor and inspiring. And just, it, it's, let's just say it spoke to me, should we say, at the, the right time. Right. Um, I don't know if I haven't watched it in ages. So I don't know how it stands up now. Yeah. Um, but weepy angst ridden shit um it's got robin robin williams in yeah, it's it, robin williams. So, and he, he's very good in it it's the central performance but yeah and it's very good when you rewatch it and you're sure you will at some point you'll realize immediately that the reason why the kid in it has so many troubles is because his dad is clarence bodica that's challenging for anybody there is that yes um i do think that's the that's the problem but you know it's because it's set in the 50s isn't it um, I don't know the time scale on it, actually. I was wondering that. I was going to ask you about that. I think it's set in the 50s fifties or 60s, but it's set in like a sort of prep school, isn't it? Uh, sort of yeah, a, like all, a posh all, school. All-boys all sort of prep school. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Where they, where, and basically they're pushed they're, they're pu- they're pushed to have proper jobs, you know, do proper proper career things and be banking and do this kind of, you know, proper jobs. And he wants to go and work, you know, he wants to go and be in the theatre and do acting and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But his dad basically won't let him. And that's what, what it's about. And that leads to sort of tragic consequences, and which leads to sort of the, the teacher getting the blame and all that sort of thing and them standing up for mm. him. He's got one of those classic endings where, they, you know, which was – you know, became quite iconic or standing on the, you know, my, mm. my what's it, my captain, my captain, and they're standing yeah, on the yeah, tables yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, stuck, stuck rebelling and quoting poetry at him and stuck sticking up for him. And, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a it was a very big deal at the time. And I, like I said, it just was the right film for me at that moment, I think. Much more than the next one was, which was Major League, same day. Not my cup of tea. No, it's Charlie Sheen, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. made me laugh. The new owner of the Cleveland Indians puts together a purposely terrible team so they'll lose and she can move the team. But when the plot is uncovered, they start winning just to spite her because it's just that easy to win. You just have to decide to. Don't know Honestly, why we employ, employ all these sports psychologists and all these people like Pep Guardiola and stuff in the football leagues and things. You know, just just decide to win. A few left. They got the bear same day. Okay. Uh, this was uh, what's his face, the Jean Jacques I know. Mm. Again, I remember this uh, being much loaded at the time. It's the story of a bear who uh, yeah, hooks right. up with an adult male as he tries to dodge human hunters. I think it's quite good. I think to remember liking at yeah. the time. Uh, we think the world of you. Never heard of it. No, it's a Gary Oldman film. Gary Oldman British film. Gary Oldman Alan Bates. 
something about a dog. And finally, 29th September, we started good. We didn't end well. Eric the Viking. Oh, dear. This is a misjudged film. Yeah, it stinks, doesn't it, that film? Was it directed by Terry Jones, that one? Yeah, it might be Terry Jones. Is Eric Idle in it? Let's have a look. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's Terry Terry Jones, Jones, yeah. yeah. Written by Terry Jones as well. Yeah, it's really not very good, this. It's just a bit of a mess and all over the place. It borrows basically so much Python that it may as well be a Monty Python film. Yeah. And it just it's Monty Python, but without being Monty Python, and and also misses the mark. It flopped really badly because of all that. I think it just out of its date and out of its depth. Well, quickly. it's kind of it's kind of funny that we've had both this and Munchausen mm. in quite quick succession, mm. which, which shows that I think by the end of the eighties, that maybe that humour was wearing thin. Oh yeah, because do you remember the scene there at the Viking where they get on the boat? Because now you've got all the big people on that side and all the little people on that side, so they have to keep. That's kind of the kind of jokes it is. <sighs> Yes, some home life, huh? <laughs> Hold my Viking sides. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that, yeah, it just wasn't great. Yeah, not good at all. There you go. That's it. Crap load of TV apart from Blackadder, and but some decent films: Dead Poets, Lethal Weapon, Talk Radio, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Some good stuff. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We still got three games to get through, plus the charts Ooh. and what's coming up for October. So please do keep listening. And we are walking down the red carpet. And on yeah. one side, we have our first game. It must be a classic. Graham, it's over to you to feel the red heat. Red heat. Dun, 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 dun. Red heat. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is £9.99, £9.99 um, from Ocean. Uh, 65% though it got in Zap. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Uh, developer was special effects. All right. Okay. Well, they did Batman and Firefly. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm digging it. Good. Producer was Paul F. Finnegan. But at this point, I had only one hair on his chinnigan. And he <laughs> is... <laughs> anyway, he did Batman and Firefly 2. Uh, Batman and Firefly also. Sorry. Uh, and it was coded by Robert W. Tinman. And of course, as we've said before, his best <laughs> friend was... I mean, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> well, to be fair, we started off the uh, thing with Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It's true, yeah. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. He did Batman one on. He did uh, on the tiles, didn't he? As well, the cat one, uh, yeah, and also Ark of Yesod. Yeah, he did. Unusual collection. Graphics here, Ivan Davies. He did Midnight Resistance and Hudson Hawk. We haven't come across Hudson Hawk yet. And Andy Midnight Rickson. Resistance. Now he did Hyperball. So there's a bit of a mishmash of people from all sorts of Odin. It sounds like the Odin crew. Yeah, Odin. Yeah, exactly. Odin have come back from Ragnarok, and here they are. Mm. Um, and then the title screen was he, uh, Ivan Davis again from he did Odds and Oak, like I said. And then the musician is Jonathan Dunn. Dunn, 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 Jonathan Dunn, 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 spice up his name <laughs> in the Paradise Club. So uh, now Red Heat is obviously based on the film. This is the Hollywood section. Hurry for Hollywood. And Red Heat was a is a 1988 American buddy cop action comedy film directed now comedy. Uh, directed, co-written, and co-produced by Walter Hill, and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as Soviet policeman Ivan Danko. Goodness, <laughs> you can tell it's the 80s. And Jim Belushi as Chicago police detective Art Ridzik. <laughs> Terrible <Whatever>. names. <laughs> Finding themselves on the same case, somehow. Danko yeah. and Ridzik work as partners to catch a cunning and deadly Georgian drug kingpin, Victor Rostavili, played by Edo Ross who killed Danko's previous partner. 
So that's that's the story of the film. That's you know that's it. I'm not going to go too far too far into the film. It's buddy cop. It's, you know, it's mismatched buddy cop nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So in the blurb of the game, it says, and I quote. The heat is on. See what they did there with the title. I see. It's very good. <laughs> and the chase is in full cry. Full cry? As East and West join forces to hunt down a Soviet drugs dealer. The two detectives, one Russian, one American, have very different methods of capturing their prey. I don't think they call them prey. Might be suspects, but you know they don't think they use that term. Um, <laughs> but together they face the worst of Chicago's underworld. Battle through four levels. Battle. <laughs> you. Battle through four <laughs> levels of rough, tough action. <laughs> rough, tough action. action. With numerous subplots to test your... In- numerous subplots. What? To test your ingenuity, dexterity, feel the heat. The red heat. <laughs> <laughs> the hot red heat. <laughs> so according to the gameplay blurb, and I'm reading this because it's only short, as Captain Ivan Danko... Top cop in Moscow's homicide division, the homicide-ski division. You must trace the whereabouts of Victor Rostovili, known to be the head of an international drug trafficking ring. The game comprises of four levels of cinematic action, Adrian. Cinematic action. Cinematic. In each increasing in difficulty, I'm, I'm honestly... You begin your struggle in a Russian sauna where only skillful hand-to-hand combat ensures success against a relentless string of criminals. The action now moves to Chicago where where only the skillful hand-to-hand combat ensures success against a relentless string of criminals. Um, Then you'll be facing a different man from Moscow. The resulting culture clash and chilling showdown with the drug-dealing cleanheads leads to the climatic confrontation with Victor himself. To complete each section, manoeuvre Danko through the landscape, overcoming the various adversaries you encounter and staying alert to the bonus stages to provide the energy and firepower you will need later, later, later. All right, all right, okay. The loading screen is a horrible demo vibe. I mean, don't forget, the lo- touch of the loading screen has got that famous image of, of from the film, which is just... It's, it, the Schwarzenegger part of it looks like the, one of the aliens out of um, that John Carpenter movie, They Live. Anyway, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. He's <laughs> <laughs> they've pretty him up. <laughs> they've overrosed his cheeks. <laughs> He's been pretty. He's got lovely blue eyes and also oh red lips. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so loaded screen. So when you get there, loaded screen's got this kind of horrible demo vibe to it. Big scrolling text in the middle, logo at the top, and some kind of lounge at the bottom. Nothing terrible, but it didn't give me red heat the movie yeah. vibes. Yeah, a lounge. <laughs> It is. It's just like a cosy lounge. The title screen has start, sound effects, joystick, and an off-center game logo, which weirded me out. Just put it in the damn middle. Yeah. Put it in the middle. Don't put it off to the right. Why? Anyway, um, also, there's a rolling high score table as well. So the high score table. And then pressing the fire button begins. The stage one is called the Hot House. Now, what follows is really weird. <laughs> it's all really weird. This game is weird. As a game idea, it is just weird. So the background of the game is some kind of ancient style spa or baths, like because it's set in a sort of, you know, a spa sauna type thing, like yeah. an old sauna, Roman style. This sits inside some kind of border effect to give it the effect of being on a film reel. Yeah. Okay. At the bottom is a giant red heat logo, which gradually fills up with colour. I'm not exactly sure why, but it does. And then a bunch of bare-chested, bearded men float <laughs> in from the right as you float to kind of float walk across from the left. There's no legs in this game. None. Uh, it's a legless game. <laughs> it's all from the waist upwards. This is this is all top half. This is all chest. Um, this all is all burly. burly chest. This is full. This is the burliest game we've ever played. Ever. It is the burliest game it, ever. This is the, the burl in this game out burls anything else. With this is the burliest thing ever. It's burly. Pure burl. 
It's, yeah. you know, a burly man made this burly game, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, Gears of War um, is at this burly. <laughs> he did. So, so he... He's he's got so he's he's naked from the waist up essentially. The aim of the level is to punch people in the face and headbutt them. That's the aim of the level. Or crouch, but don't do that because it looks very dubious. Because <laughs> then it's just his head. <laughs> it's just his head at the bottom, and they're at waist height, and it just looks like he's preparing to do something that you know it might get him out of trouble. Maybe in there, you know, I don't know what kind of sauna he goes to, but just saying that you know, we're right the sauna I go to you know now and again. If somebody did that, I think we'd all be you know we'd all be wondering what was going on, you know. We wouldn't we'll be assuming it was some kind of. Wear. We wouldn't. Yeah, we, it would be a bit awkward for everybody in every possible way. So don't do that. Anyway, so here you control your play with the joystick. You are continuously walking to the right, which negates being able to push to the right. Really, uh, but you can do that, and you can. If you move left, he goes backwards. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he just kind of relentlessly marches on. Boom. Them, 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 and you know, we're going back. They don't move fast. This guy's just them, them. So it's plodding. Imagine plodding left, right, plod, plod. So you continue to walk into the right, and then um, and it will stop in the centre. So you can only go as far as the middle when you push right, and then he, that's the, he's, that's where he, that's where he lives. He, like, he's comfortable in the middle. You ain't going over to that right hand side of the screen, no matter what you do. You're never going over that way. Not really. No, towards, no, maybe towards the end of the level, maybe, but no, none of that really. Far right um, is bad. So pushing down, say crouches, leaving just your head view, which is awkward for your enemies at waist height. Avoid that. <laughs> up is up and fire his headbutt, and right and fire his punch. So walk and punch and headbutt. That's kind of that's the game, really. That's it. That's it. You you have a health bar on the screen and a little block. Get hit and you lose blocks. Occasionally, some of the shirtless men and most they're mostly shirtless in that first level and bearded. They all, <laughs> there are a lot of bearded shirtless men in this and and, and um, mulleted. There's a mullet guy as well. <laughs> there is. Um, some of them shoot at you. I'm not sure what they're shooting at you. Are you in a sword? It could <laughs> or be where soap. From? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it is. And maybe it's a gun. I don't see them holding I think the they're gun. Throwing maybe. knives. I think it's knives. Maybe it is, but, but where are they keeping those knives? I don't know where they've got it sheathed. I don't want to know where they've done that. <laughs> then after you... So that and, the, and these levels go on forever. You're just walking, punching, headbutt. Because when they come on, they, they also have, you know, punch and kick. Not headbutt so much, but they kick you and you sort of go backwards a little bit. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. then you have to walk. Now, that was, a, that was a similar problem to what we encountered in that age-old um, Fighting Warrior game. If yeah. you remember when that was just kind of a walk and ploddy battle game. So this is very much that kind of dull mold. So they'll push you back. You'll then slowly plod to the right forward and punch whack. And when you punch them, it's quite satisfying because they go flying. It's really funny. And the headbutt's really funny because he actually gets taller as he gets headbutt. So it's really good. He does the old extendo neck. Now, let me tell you something. I watched, recently watched um, Red Heat. Did you? And oh. Yes, I did. For this particular review, I thought I watched oh. Red Heat. This sequence is quite short in the film. It is, yeah. It's no, This game is way longer. <laughs> this level goes on forever. Same length as the film. You start off in the bloody uh, sauna, and then by the end of it, you're just walking through the woods bare-chested. He goes through the whole game bare-chested. <laughs> never never puts his shirt on. He's in front of the uh, uh, bus at the end with <laughs> his top on. It's really stupid. And he puts some clothes on. Anyway, so once you get to the end of that, and there is an end to it of a sort, but you just get the, you know, by that, you've, it's honestly, it took, it must have taken half an hour. Mm-hmm. So long. But this, after that, you get this weird waggle. That just, he's holding on to some kind of hot coal at this, in this particular mini game. And you have to waggle the joystick over its length of time, and that just maybe grips onto the hot coal. And I don't know what you gain from it, something. I don't know. It's kind of unclear. Anyway, after that, the next bit begins. And guess what? More walking, more punching, <laughs> more, more head walking, butting. head butting. More, but this time, eventually, you get, eventually you'll get to the hospital level. Again, you're bare chested, um, and this and this time you're walking right to left though. So the novelty, you know, you go in the opposite direction now. Same thing though, same exact controls, just reversed. Slight variation of the enemies. Some of them have got guns this time, as such, and they are actual guns. 
and the background detail, it's clearly the world's longest hospital foyer. Because you must be you must be walking for a good two or three miles. That is like a massive hospital, isn't it? Not greatly detailed and not very well realized, not dissimilar at this point to the kind of maniac mansion style backgrounds, which aren't, you know, they weren't they were okay in that, but not in this. You can pick up and you will pick up weapons and guns and you can shoot them in an uncomfortable sequence that does not look like you're shooting a gun. <laughs> So bare-chested, remember, it's just a bit unpleasant. It looked to me like he was, I don't know, I'm not going to say it, it just, it's not nice. Um, and it would it would incur the anger of, you know, random people who walk through, you know, endless hospitals. So you just walk in, shooting, walk in, shooting, maybe now and again, you get limited bullets and then punch, punch. There's objects you can pick up as you go down. You have to crouch down to pick them up, though. Remember what I said about crouching? Awkward in this game, awkward mm-hmm. to do. And awkward, the objects are also awkward to get to because sometimes they're on the other side of the screen. And you see it there and you think, oh, it's going to take me 10 minutes to get to that because it's so slow and bloody. I'm like, oh. Anyway, so eventually you'll get, after another million years of doing that, you'll get past the hotel, get past the hospital and get to the hotel. And guess what? Left, right, walk in, punch, <laughs> headbutt. Now some of the enemies carry machine guns, so you've got a duck, or such as I say, a crouch. Then you'll find a weird version of the old three doors um, and people appearing from those doors. Um, some of them are goodies, some of them are baddies. Don't shoot the goodies, that kind of thing. You know those kind of arcade games that yeah, you've seen, yeah, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. It's not very good, one of those, though. Not very inspiring. Uh, and even if you have got that far, you'll be bored out of your mind because this game is so boring. Yep. yep. So there's no hiding it. Even with some, you know, reasonable music for what it is, I suppose, the game is so utterly boring, it's quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. It's the same thing over and over and over with the same boring potty pace, the same stupid visuals, the same... The sprites that attack you are shirtless versions of you with a different head facing the opposite <laughs> way. There's no... no there's no, there's a couple of slight variations with a t-shirt on and stuff like that a bit later on. There's nothing interesting in this game at all, considering the film isn't great, I have to say. But it is a comedy, and it is a buddy-buddy cop. Now, in this, you've got no buddy, and it's not funny. <laughs> they're, the, they're the only things the film had going for it. And, of course, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger who played a big Russian you know, bodybuilding dude. Okay, they made a lot of that. No, so it's just a shirtless man, shirtless bodybuilder, punching his way through a sauna and a hospital and a hotel. And eventually, on that, like you say, the bus, and you, you fight the boss at the end. And there's a really crap ending, really crap. Graphics are all really samey. Um, and I suppose that they're not terribly defined, but there's no legs on anything. It's just the same thing over and over again. It's just weird playing the top half of someone. <laughs> game. It's, it's just weird. It weirded me out. It's weird. Um, and there's an inference, I suppose, when you think about it, that you're naked all the way through this, which is even weirder. Because it's like, this, you know, it's shameful to show, you know, don't show the down below. Because you'd see this Arnold's schlong flocking about, flopping about, wouldn't you? <laughs> Nobody wants that. And then, and then when the other guys ran on, they'd be doing the same, you know, towel style, you know, get, let's all get, you know. Um, and of course they can't do that because then you like, you said about Sacred Arm Advance Red, you'd have that <laughs> sound. Yeah. And it'd be too much of that sound like, it'd sound like a golf clap, wouldn't it? And we don't want that. It'd be multiple that golf game. claps going on. With all on. the mullets and people running around, you'd have just like, people think you've just, you know, been, you're a putting champion. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, there's no action in this game at all. There's no fun. There's no sign of the buddy in a buddy cop film franchise. This is a really terrible movie tie-in. It ain't the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's not far off. Um, and it's just terrible. It, how to make a dull film, which, I mean, it's not a great film, but how to make a, you know, a, a quirky film in its own way, really boring, just this. <laughs> this yeah. is so, so boring. It's dire. Did you enjoy Red Heat at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you own it, by the way? I meant to ask. Do you ever what, own the, it? The game or the film? Yeah, because you, know, you, might, you might have bought into the game. You no, can't like no, I, I, Hollywood Don't film. forget something. By this point, I completely tued out of... Buying games, I yeah, wasn't I getting suppose, stuff for yeah. six months. Oh, no, so, no chance. So rubbish. Uh, this I, game, did, I think I, I might have played it at Gary's. I don't know, but never ever 
Have I never have I ever headbutted so many oiled naked Russian men in a sauna in my life? <laughs> now that's not a sentence I ever thought I would something I would need to say, need to admit, and yet here I am having to is. say it. I headbutted no. so many naked Russian men. Yes, this week. Yeah, it was you know because punching is annoying. The only thing you really need to do is just headbutt. You just walk along headbutting, yeah. and like you said, he just suffers massive giraffing. Um, <laughs> Stupid. What can you say about this that is positive? Stupid. I suppose the main sprite does look a bit like Annie at the beginning from the side. It's not a terrible sprite. It's okay. It's burly. It's burly. It's burly burly Annie. The music's okay. The game. It's a shit Kung Fu Master. It's really shit Kung Fu Master. That's what it is, isn't it? It's a shit. It's Kung Fu Master. Walk left to right and hit people. Well, yeah. That's Kung Kung Fu Master. Backward forwards on levels. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah, totally. It's Kung Fu Master. But it's halved for some reason. So it's half Kung Fu Master. <laughs> it keeps the frame rate, you know. So you have to do at, that pesky leg animation. Such a so, nightmare, right? It's so we can't see the Kung Fu mast. That's why it's halved. <laughs> you can't halved. jump either. You can't so I'm jump. pretty sure Ali can jump. Yeah, but then if you jumped, it would something would come on screen. It would, it would reveal the schlong, wouldn't it? <laughs> Arnie Schlongsnigger. Exactly. And then we would then we'd feel some red heat, I think, then. <laughs> But don't be bad. You just headbutting and punching. No kicking, though. No kicking. No, no, legs. no legs. Endless assaults by the same three enemies who race across the screen to reach you, and then endless headbutting to get rid of them in this turgid <laughs> and pointless licensed product. <laughs> so pointless. Why does it all take place in a band of film across the middle of the screen? Who designed this and thought it would be okay? Because it's the same on every platform, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and here's the difference, right? We've got three ocean games this this week. We've got another one coming up in a moment, I think. Um, but the one that's not the ocean bought, we're already made, is is by far the best one. So everyone goes, oh, ocean, yeah. they released really good games. No, 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 nothing to do with ocean. That was Telecom Soft who went bust, unfortunately. And ocean yeah. swooped in at the end and went, look, oh, aren't we great? Mm. No, piss off. Yeah. Ocean has foisted another dump on the public. As far as I'm concerned, this awful, awful thing. And yet, and yet, it will not be the worst thing we play based on Arnie this week. (laughs) No, it won't. Just God help us that this is the, (laughs) but this, you know, this is the choice for Sophie out of the two of them. (laughs) This is the best one. This is, yeah, this is, yeah, this is it. This is the one you would pick. If you had to at the two Arnie games, and I'm going to come to that other one in a minute. But Red Heat, I mean, it's dreadful. What were they thinking? Oh, we'll just have him out. Just have special half. Special effects are normally turn out pretty good stuff as well. It's shocking yeah. mainly for them. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand no. this. It's so crap. Okay, I'm thinking it was put together in a couple of couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Somebody really like punching people in saunas. <laughs> so I bet the the graph. I can only imagine the graphics artist went. I can't do legs. <laughs> I'm really good at torsos. I can't do legs. What do you mean you they've can't do no, legs? They've got no legs. <laughs> <laughs> we only, well, I can't do them. I'm dead. I'm just rubbish at legs. I just oh, okay. What are we going to do then? Oh, You're supposed to be walking along, kicking them like Kung Fu Master. You just have to work something out. Headbutt. Put them. Put them in a mid shot throughout the whole game. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That's weird. What, what have you done with his neck? <laughs> Who hired you? <laughs> People don't extend the necks when they headbutt. I do now. <laughs> he does. He does. He does now. Okay. Oh dear! Where are they throwing them knives from? Don't ask. Don't ever ask that question. Don't ever ask. And where do they go? Because if you if they miss you, they're just knives lying around on the floor in the sauna. That's a safety issue in the sauna. Yeah, and they got if, catch if, the toe. And wherever they're throwing them knives from, they're going to need some deep heat to sort that problem out. I think. And is everyone who was in that sauna just there to fight? Because saunas are public spaces. You know, they're like if I went to the 
sauna and there's a fight, not every, everybody just doesn't dive in and start walking towards the person, just, you know, menacing them. And it's like most people just in the background are like, some just of them don't relax. You know some I mean? of them don't walk, do they? They, they hurry. They rush. <laughs> the rushy ones. Well, they don't run. The, the animation frames are speeded. So <laughs> it's like so I think they've slipped on a bit of slippery soap. They've yeah, just gone flinging it forward. Uh, and now he's dropping the soap them. in the sauna. That's a whole separate conversation for this film. Well, God, this is bloody rubbish. Let's move Awful. on. We've still got another one to get through. Oh, God. <laughs> still in Hollywood. It's the second yeah. of our Arnie double bill, and this time it's time to be the running man. <laughs> Full price, 44%. Second of our Arnie double bill. Okay, this is the C64 version of the running man, based not on the book by Stephen King, but the film that we discussed I don't know, ages ago when it came out. Well, go, yeah. well, um, directed by Starsky himself, Mr. Paul Michael Glazier. Um, the story of this sees cop Ben Richards, wrongfully accused, labelled the butcher of Bakersfield and tried for a crime he did not commit and offloaded to the biggest game show on the planet in the year 2019. That made me laugh. <laughs> it is, yeah, actually. Crazy. The running man. You, you've been sent to the running man, basically. Here you have to make it through various areas. This is probably going to be a quite a quick review, <laughs> but because otherwise <laughs> I'll just get angry. I'm just going to get really angry. I'm just saying now. You've got to make through various areas, survive encounters with the various bosses in order to win your freedom. Just mm. like Whitman, Price, and Tadat. You remember them. You remember them. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is from Grand Slam and was developed by Emerald Software. They'll also go on to do Moonwalker, the Michael oh, Jackson one, Vigilante, and Fallen Angel. Mm. Never heard of them. Never heard of them, Pat Moonwalker. Anyway, after an interesting intro in which we get a version of the show from the film because essentially the film the film is the, the running man has been turned into this big syndicated tv show where you know criminals come in and they get put into this big sort of open area and they get hunted by hunters yeah. and, th and that's yeah. it and they've got to survive and if they survive they win their freedom that's basically the film and this is the same so wh what happens is they get they come in and they get chucked into the they come out in these big yellow spandex suits and then they yeah. get put in a put in a tube and sent down a well it's put they're put the in like a, zones, a, an ob yeah. a, a toboggan or something and sent a, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, a big yeah. toboggan and sent down a tube. So we get a kind of version of that in this intro, which is a bit, it, it, well, okay. I think it was more designed for the Amiga than the C64, but yes. hey-ho. I, I don't know. We can, whatever it is. We also get a big, large running man logo scrolls across with a, a, an actual running man, uh, Ben Richards. Mm. Then we get, as I said, we go down the tube, we get the title screen. No expense was spared. And I mean, nothing was spent on it. It's just rubbish. Yeah. This didn't bode well. Anyway, you press the fire button and those initial worries were all too well realized. This is a left to right scrolling fighting game in which you as Ben must overcome the four classic bad guys from the film before heading through the studio to take out your revenge on Killian. Killian is the host of the TV show. He's the one who got you into it, um, played by... Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we talked about it. Just go listen to the review, and he, you know, he's a dickhead, and you want to kill him because he's like, you know, I'm going to be, nice. you know, sort of thing. So you have to fight your way back to it and, and kill Killian, and then you that's it really and you want to you want to kill him because you know he's making you play through this turgid shite um, which is basically what happens so beneath <laughs> a, when the game starts you're beneath a large ICS logo ICS is the TV show that runs The Running Man so what we see at this point is well I think it's Ben <laughs> it's it's a blocky massive yellow blue and black pixels and there's a dog running about in a grey wasteland and there's some fences behind you yep that's it that's where it starts controls are left that's and right it. for 
<laughs> controls are left and right for erratic walking, down for erratic crouching, and then boring crawling. <laughs> up makes yep. you stand up if you're cr- crouched, or jump if you're already standing. If you tap twice in any direction and hold a direction, Ben will lumpenly run that way. Mm. Um, if you hold fire and tap up, he will punch. And if you hold in the fire button and press in the direction, then he will kick. The first thing you need to do is climb some rocks. This isn't as easy as you think. No, it's not. It's ridiculous. The instructions tell you that running and jumping allows you to jump further. And whilst this is true, trying to do this to get on the rocks will just see you slide back off them. Slide back (laughs) off them. You slide off the rocks. You see, you have to do a standing jump to clamber on them, and you have to be the right distance from them. Otherwise, you will slump off them and slide off them. And at this point, your anger meter will start rising. You can't help it. You'll just start getting angry. This game is yep. putting a putting a barrier between you. If you clear a few of these, and you, it, it's just God. Why is clambering over some rocks? It took me ages. Like, what well, is rubbish? You clear a few of these, and suddenly we're facing off against our first boss. Sub, I think it's Sub Zero, isn't it? Sub Zero. Sub Zero, yeah. He will wander towards you lumpenly, erratically, just uh, on. I think he's on skates, but who knows? And he hits ice hockey pucks at you along the floor. You could try and jump over these, but the controls are so sluggish, you've got no chance. If these hit you, they will take out some of your health. This is shown at the bottom of the screen in what passes for a UI. This has your health, the stalker's health. They don't even bother to name them, so they can just use the same one in each level. Mm. Lazy, lazy, lazy. And the score, which is based on some betting nonsense, supposedly, or something. I read in the restrictions, but God knows. I don't believe it is. You've got to try and get close to him, land a punch or a kick um, in one of the worst fighting systems I have ever come across. Yep. Uh, to call it leaden, like I said, would be an insult to lead. He will run off one side, Sub-Zero will, or skate off, and then instantly appear on the other side. He just skates yep. off and skates back. Like, Where'd you go? How did you get there? So there's a complete lack of all believability in this fight. You can't chase him around because he keeps appearing from either side. You'll also be bothered by a series of never-ending dogs for some reason. Do you remember mm. dogs in the fight with Sub-Zero in the film? Because I don't. Yeah, not in the fight with Sub-Zero. There are dogs, but only at the very beginning of the Only at the beginning, but they don't come on man. during the fights with the hunters. No, no, they no. don't. No, stupid. Uh, landing a hit on him is barely possible. It's just ridiculous because you move so slowly and he skates away before you can do anything. And they all just skate through you and past you and nothing really happens. The visuals here are ugly. And the music that is still playing, as from oh, the title that, screen, that music. there's music and it just plays and plays. That bloody it, music. It, it'll make you want to go full on dynamo and electrocute yourself um, at this point. It just is turgid. This is turgid, horrible stuff. As a side's gone and beat him up, it's one of the worst I've seen. This is like, you mentioned Fighting Warrior. This is sub-Fighting Warrior by some margin. Mm. This is probably in the region of something like Bob Winner for me. I was I was yeah. that put off. Of, this was so bad. To be selling this at full price is quite the ask. We've had things like Samurai Warrior. I mean, even Fist 2, which we were, <laughs> you know, we didn't particularly like, but fair place for Fist 2. For, it still had the Exploding Fist fighting system in it and everything and was mm. ambitious, just was a bit buggy and messed up. This is just a broken... This is 1989. And I don't know. This this kind of game simply cannot be excused. I don't know what happens to Beyond Sub-Zero because I gave up. I turned it off. <laughs> I just... I couldn't be doing with it. I was like, this is so crap, so awful. Um... Did it actually question? It made me question this podcast. I was like, "This is shit." We play games so you don't have to. I couldn't bring myself to get any further into this. All the opportunity this license could have provided. I mean, the, the Running Man. You, you could have based it on the book. If you based it on the film, okay, but you could have been running through areas, avoiding mm-hmm. avoiding the dogs, avoiding stuff. This could have been an yeah. interesting, like top down thing where you're trying to sneak about mm-hmm. and stuff. This could have been a really interesting stealth game or something. Didn't have to yeah. be this. 
didn't. He could have had interesting fights to take out the bosses where you had to sort of drop make traps for them and things like that and lure them in. And there's loads of ideas that you could do for this, just like like that. Yeah. But to turn it into five crap fights and an awful level of interactivity where it, you know you can't even run and jump up stuff, it's mind boggling. Truly spectacularly awful. Forty four percent this got. Forty four percent. Unbelievable. What are they on? That's like nearly average. That's nope. nearly fifty percent. Nope. Terrible. No, 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 no. This is single digits. This is a single digit game. This is one of the worst things we've played in ages. And we've played some utter shite of late, but nothing has made me quite as annoyed and angry as this did. I, I, I like the film. I think it's cheesy, stupid nonsense. Yeah. It's a good laugh. It's got, you know, Arnie one liners. It's got Mick Fleetwood in it. It's got it you know, stupid, you know, stuff in it. There's some dodgy bits in it here and there, but, you know, blah, blah. But it's just, just a stupid late 80s honey action film. There's loads of stuff you could have done with this. What did they do? They shat this out. I'm sorry for all the swearing, but, you know, awful. I hated this. Oh, what did you think? It's one of the most inept software licenses I've ever seen. It's Howard the Duck bad. It's worse than that. I mean... Yeah, it probably is, actually. Yeah, you're right. Aside from some of the clumsiest graphic representations of the film set that have been really badly created with no passion, all put together to create this lumpen piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. You have to crappily animate your, you know, yourself and the sprite on a mostly empty game level. You know, I fought one dog and then a boss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the sound is awful. Utterly, utterly, utterly awful. Terrible controls that fidget and twitch, and I hate that kind of running on that sort of thing. Sometimes they do what you want. More often than not, they don't. You're floating off obstacles all the time because, as we all know, climbing over rocks is incredibly difficult for anybody with slippery shoes, it seems. <laughs> so they require some kind of weird pixel shifting and an odd jump. Death means you go back to the start, which is really stupid. Weird objects that you can pick up have a purpose, I guess, but no idea really. It wouldn't look like a, look like a bent car aerial. I don't know what it was. No. This is just a mess. And the, even the decoding mini game that you get, it's just a confusing mass of rotating icons that seems near impossible to comprehend or figure out, especially in context of the rest of the game. Nor is it explained, nor is the rationale of it explained, nor is it required, nor is it something Ben Richards does in the film either, nope. ever. It's a film that's essentially based around Ben Richards' character, I grant you. And I understand that he's running through the various zones and ends up fighting with the various stalkers. You know, So you've got Sub-Zero, you've got Buzzsaw, you've got Dynamo, you've got... Uh, Fireball, you've got Captain Freedom, is it, as well? Is he even in this Captain Freedom? I don't know if Captain Freedom's in it. Don't mention him in the instructions. Um, and you, and then the end, you have to shove Killian, and, and you go all the way, when you only get to the end, you run up to Killian, put, shove him in a tube, and then that's the end of the game. Just ends. I don't, I don't, I might, don't care. It's so bad. And I get, I get it. I get the idea that, you know, in the film, that, that is the principal component part. That's what happens. But there are loads of other characters in this. He's not in there on his own. They make a point of putting other characters that he knows in there in with him in the film. It's a really important part of the film. Amber Mendez yeah. gets put in there. The other two characters, you know, Yafet Kotto's in there with him. Then the other guy that nobody ever remembers, he's in there as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what all of that and all of the other stuff, I mean, this, this doesn't start, the film doesn't start in the game. So you could have had all the preamble as well. Yeah. This could have been done so many ways and so different, like you said, but to just tone it all down to a guy running across a background with one dog to kick and then the boss, which is, you know, at, at one point when you're fighting Fireball, he's just floating around on a jetpack. It's really crap. It's like, it's really bad. It's yep. bad. It's really, really, really bad. It's just rubbish. 
utterly, utterly rubbish. This is a licensed game, for goodness sake. I mean, I can only imagine that they must have looked at this and gone, well, all right, whatever. I mean, they, nobody cared about it, which is a bit shocking, really. So Grand Slam have turned in a right turkey, haven't they? I mean, goodness me, they really yep. have Grand Slam dunked it. An absolutely, utterly reprehensible piece of crap and a truly, truly terrible game. And I think a candidate for one of the worst games I've ever played on the system and certainly one of the worst licensed games. I mean, you're going for the double hitter here. It is terrible. I, I hate to think what, you know, I, I feel sorry for anyone that bought this on the strength of the film, if they like the film and bought this, because this has so little resemblance. It reminds me of that Blade Runner game we played years ago where it was based on the soundtrack. You know, this, yeah. is, this, this is clearly based on a, the beer mat or something. I don't know what this is based <laughs> on, but it ain't nothing to do with the Running Man film. I don't recognize the film other than a few little icon representations in there. Utterly, utterly, utterly crap. 44%. Are you having a laugh? So this got the same score as Inner Space. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like Inner Space, but come on. No, this is, this is four at best. Maybe yeah. even, you know, 2%. It's this terrible. is utterly, utterly rubbish. This is you know, Win Bobner bad. Yeah, this is terrible. this is Lee Enfield bad. This is this is in the bad section, like bad. Yeah, reminded me of that other no. crap one where we uh time time warrior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just God's sake, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies. God's sake, how can you get it wrong? I'd rather be. That's what I said. I'd rather be headbutting people in a Russian sauna than play this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's saying you know if you're gonna that's the lesser of the two evils, isn't it? Yeah, but. Honest, honestly, utterly reprehensible, complete and utter rubbish. 2%. And that's because you could have taped over the tape it came on, potentially, and <laughs> yeah. used it for something useful. <laughs> like recording like- yourself singing a song. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the theme tune to the film. Yeah, the one at the end credits, yeah. No more lonely nights in a restless heart. Roll the dice. Yeah, you could have... In fact, do, because that's not on the actual official soundtrack. So find that, record over it, and you've actually got a much better Running Man thing. You have. Yeah, and you'll, do be, that. you'll be thankful. You will. There we go. The Running Man. So bad. So, so bad. Let's move along. We've still got one more trip to Hollywood to make this path. So Hooray let's, for Hollywood. So let's go there. <laughs> We looked at the film last month, I think, um, and now we have uh, another chance to be 007, James Bond. Graham, I'm giving you a license to kill. Ah, license to kill is uh, from Domark, of course. It's Domark. Mm. Um, £9.99 this was, 80%. Okay. Um, the manager of this <laughs> project was John Kavanagh. All right. Coded by Christopher West, E-coded Risk, if you remember Risk, R-I-S-K Risk. Had nice oh, graphics yeah. in that. Yeah, it was good, that was. Um, and the graphics are by Anthony West. I don't know if they're related. The Wests. Um, aided Risk and Shailen's Road. Mm, okay. One good, the one musician is, is David Whittaker. David Whittaker. Mm. Now, normally, I'd you know I'd be celebrating that in this. You know, it's not, he never turns in that bad a thing. And it's just, I could see what he tried to do because he didn't have the license <laughs> to the Bond music, did he? Clearly, they were like, you can't have it. I actually so don't this, mind the tunes, so, if I'm honest. But it's not the music that sort of goes down, 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 It's like, it's nearly Bond. It's nearly Bond. It's, all, it's, it's the best nearly Bond music you're going to get. It's Brooke Bond. <laughs> It's like, just, it's, it's like, you sort of listen to it. It's, it's sort of, that sounds like a, oh, no, it's not, it's not, it's not quite 007. It's like 003.2. It's Little Bond. Yeah, it's, it's nearly brand. It's nearly brand Bond. It's nearly Bond. It's Brook Bond. It's Basildon Bond. <laughs> but it ain't Bond. But it ain't 007. But okay, you know what? The opening music is sound alike stuff. So it sounds, it's Little Bond. Yeah. It's, it's got a, it's got a Bond feel, should we say. Yeah. yeah. It's Bond-like. Bond-like, I've called it. It's Bond-esque. Yeah. It's, bo- it's Bond-you-like. So anyway, the title screen. 
as the title, uh, obviously, the high scores, and you press fight to begin. It all looks quite nice. Standard stuff, you know, just get to the game, really. So this game is in a series of um, scenes and um, uh, parts. So there's, uh, I think there's three scenes and there's several parts to each scene. I think two or three to each thing. Um, so let me just find my little blood. There's not much in the way, kind of the story of this kind of follows on from the uh, film so it's kind of like the film uh, and we just spoke about the film in the when we did the review so you can go back and check that out but essentially you know bond is oh you know he's off license i don't mean he's at a, you know buying some booze <laughs> that's why from he can't use shop. a real film that's how they can't use a real music <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, he's off license bond yeah, must be some bond. <laughs> <laughs> there must be some really funny okay, story about <laughs> about this um very good um there may be some story about how this game came to be and why they didn't have all of license, and I think it, there genuinely is something to do with the the owners of the the film IP and some weird. I think they don't. Own, I think they, they they probably don't have the rights to the music. That's still with what's his face, John Barry, is it? Yeah, it's, it, it'd be something something to do with that. I think it was some weirdness about it. Anyway, it is what it is. After all that, isn't it? So, um, according to the inlay of this game, um, it says, and I quote: "Hang on, just everything's going a bit wrong this side." It says, um, it says, and I quote, become James Bond in his latest adventure and destroy the evil drug smuggler Sanchez. Guy 007 as he fights it out on the Cray K over Miami Bay and underwater on his way to the final confrontation in 18-wheeler fuel tankers. Defeat Sanchez and give Bond what he wants. Revenge. 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 <laughs> Revenge. So you've got to, like I said, you've got to play through a series of scenes and, and parts. Um, now I'll describe these as I sort of go through them because I think that's the easiest way. Mm-hmm. so scene one part one uh, you've got to fight the idea is you've got to fly a helicopter in this part you've got to avoid tall buildings and and um the bullets that are shooting at you from some sort of gun emplacements and you're actually following sanchez in his jeep at this time so you've got to try and follow him and stay alive long enough to sort of get to the end of this screen and the game is a majority of the screen on this with a slight ui on the right which is um your score and things like that and that does change as there's different levels and scenes play out and so it does vary a little bit so you know depending on what you're doing in the in the game itself will vary on what's on that ui and it just not doesn't change that much but it's you know sometimes the things you're in have energy the things you are and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so the graphics here in this first sequence the same. so it's this top down view from the top down your, your helicopter scrolling up a bit like the helicopter sequence in rambo when you played rambo if you remember that all that yeah the graphics here are pretty good actually um, nicely realized backgrounds will look quite well shaded and ground that looks like well good well shaded ground pretty good mm. decent buildings good sprites actually um, it looks a bit like the Rambo commando style arcade view but actually works a bit better um, so mm. it's not quite as bitty as that very smooth scrolling controls are very responsive good I thought it was good so that and you have to play you move it move the helicopter around with the joystick and you've got to get to the end eventually you will get to the end and you'll drop bond uh, out of the helicopter well not drop him physically just throw him out but he Jumps out again, you know, jumps down to the ground, and that then scene one, part two begins. Um, here you've got to run up upwards again, but you're running up the landscape this time on foot, shooting and avoiding the henchmen. The controls change slightly here. Movement is by joystick direction, but if you press fire, it stops bonds, and then you can rotate the joystick to aim your pistol, which actually is quite a nice idea. It's a nice idea. Yeah, there's parts that sort of work, and there's parts that don't. So if you get touched by anything, it's instantly instant death in this mm. and that becomes a problem because you've got to stop and shoot and if you get too many of the little people coming running around at you they'll touch you and it can be game over very quickly like mm. crazy quickly yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it don't get me wrong the turnaround so when you die and you get the dun 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 because james bond dun 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 and the game starts again it's quite quick until you run out of lives but at the same time it is rapid you know it's yeah, a yeah. rapid fire death um 
But the idea is you've got to sort of work your way upwards. Now, the level's quite long in this, um, and but it's nice. The scenery is pretty good. Again, it's like the helicopter scenery, you know, same sort of same sort of deal. But there are things you can sort of hide behind a little bit. There's barrels you can destroy because you shoot them four times and they blow up. Um, and it has the sort of sensible notion about this sort of style of graphics here. It felt a bit like cannon fodder style graphics. I thought it looked like an early cannon um, fodder. So it's got a, it's got a sensible feel, the little kind of pixel people and the yeah, way they run about. And it reminded so. me of the way that the pixel people looked in Parallax as well. So it had that sensible feel about it. Yeah. Um, so, but it's a bit like if you imagine a commando variant with pixel people in it that plays a bit like Two Days Wins too, but it's also insanely difficult because you know when you stop and shoot, um, the, the way it controls out of that and in of that is kind of disruptive to the way you. It's not. Nat- it doesn't feel natural. I think is the problem. It's yeah. a nice idea, but it doesn't feel natural to just suddenly stop rotate because you're often not facing the right way when you rotate, and it can lead to death very quickly. No, mm-hmm. But anyway, you'll keep doing that. You'll eventually get there. And then you'll get to the next part of, so you'll get to see one part three. And when you get to the top, you'll get to see one part three. Here, you've got to try and fly James Bond over a moving airplane and drop him on, drop him on the back of it. Now, I never have a good history with these sort of levels. <laughs> um, so them stuntman games often have something like this. And this is actually frustratingly hard to do. So if you imagine you've got like an airplane with Bond hanging out of it, um, um, and he's that sort of, you know, hanging on a rope. And it's the way he's, you know, act quite filmic in the way that it's done. And he's floating about. Yeah. And you've got to try and drop him on the tail of the airplane before it sort of, you know, dives down and stuff like that. It's quite hard to do it. It's Graphically, it's quite neat, actually. It looked quite nice. Mm. Um, and at this point, he starts heading into nice graphic um, spy hunter type territory. But it still looks quite quite the part. But the challenge of getting Bond to grab hold of that airplane and attach the cable to it, which is what you need to do at this point, and then jump and parachute into the water, it's doable. But it's really hard. It is hard. It's really hard to do with the short amount of lives you've got. You know, I find it very difficult to do that. So you just got to keep, you know, keep your eye on it and keep on your eye on the UI, which gives you how close you are to the airplane and all that kind of stuff. When you do do that, eventually you'll land, you'll jump and you'll attach the hook to the plane, jump down, you pull your parachute cord and you'll float and land in the water. Then it's onto scene two, part one. Here, you're now a diving James Bond, a pixel bond, pixel diving bond. Mm. And the idea is you've got to swim upwards, dive under the water and up again as your air runs out because you've got a limited supply of air. You've got to avoid the boats. He's a fast swimmer to be able to swim this fast and avoid these boats, but, you know, okay. Man from Atlantis. But it's, um, you've got to avoid, there's a lot of boats sort of shooting at you. There are also these divers that will dive and try and get you. And the idea is you've got to get to the top of the level and avoid all of that, which is actually very, very difficult to do. Eventually, there's like a boat, you'll reach the back of a boat, and then you'll get to sort of close, get to that, and you'll shoot a grappling hook into that. And then you get to scene two, part two, which is actually quite a nice sequence. So this is barefoot water skiing with ramped up sort of Bond-like music appears. Um, it's not quite James Bond, is it? It's down, 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 down. It's like that. Um, <laughs> but as the seaplane that you've fired your um, your grappling hook into accelerates, you've got to ski behind it and avoid all the mines and stuff, which isn't easy to do, but it's a really fun level. Really fun. Mm-hmm. And gradually you've got to work your way up to the seaplane. So you've got to sort of claw your way up the rope that you're on and, and you sort of, as you ski, and get up towards the seaplane. And when you do that, you'll end up at scene three, which is kind of the final big run of scenes. Now you've got to stop the 18-wheelers that are on on the route with all the drugs in them. To do this, you must fly your seaplane. Now you've taken over the seaplane, you're in control of it. And then you've got to drop yourself onto the top of the 18-wheeler. So you've got to land, drop, sort of drop and land on that, which is really hard again. Then when you get inside the truck, you've got a tank, convoy of tankers that you've got to kind of bash off the road in very similar sort of you know, um, uh, spy hunter style. There's also these jeeps that are firing rockets at you, which you've got to sort of bash out the way as well. And eventually you'll do that enough times and you'll destroy Sanchez, who's in the final truck as you're battling your way up the roads. It's not easy, 
of course, because like I said, there's jeeps that shoot missiles at you and other tankers that bump you. And I think you're on a time limit as well. You're on a timer on this bit. Um, so you've got to sort of get on with the job at hand and obviously control control all of these things in the same sort of way. So it's joystick control, fire does the action, and up, down, left, and right in this section sort of moves you, navigates your truck and speeds up, slows it down, bashes it into things, that kind of thing. Um, so as you bump them, the jeeps, they get blow up. And if you bump the tankers, that kind of more disables them. So the, the trailer hitch, unhitches and falls off and the truck pulls over to the side with steam coming out the engine, that kind of thing. Um, all the while, you cover, like I said, you're working your way to Sanchez himself. The, it is that spy on the viewpoint, but the graphics here are nice and it actually controls really well for what you're doing, which is very nice. It's simple stuff as well in terms of the controls and all of it. So it's not like this insurmountable controls. Apart from that, where you've got to sort of stop and rotate, which is a little bit of a misstep. Generally, the controls are pretty intuitive and they're just hard to do. Trying to land bond on a moving plane when the airplane keeps moving around, it's quite frustrating. But if you complete this, you get, you know, a win message and you get some, you know, nearly bond music. And well, it's all, you know, it's an all in all, it's an action, you know, a little mini action film in its, in its own right. Um, and not unlike the stunt games that we've played in a weird way, but with a purpose, which is what we kind of said about all those stunt games. Wouldn't it be great if there was actually a purpose to all this? Now there is one. Yeah, yeah so, that's a good point, yeah. Overall, I didn't think this was actually that bad. It's certainly one of the better Bond games we've played. It's the best. There's a lot There's <laughs> a lot of variety in it, um, and it's aligned to the film and the characterization of Bond. So it is a mini little pixel Bond, but it's p- pixel Bond doing pixel Bond stuff. Now, the other Bond games that we've played, like View to a Kill, are all crap. So it didn't have a very high benchmark to beat. But what they've done is put enough of the Bond things in and the Bond feel, even though it hasn't quite got the music, it's got the Bond vibes. So, you know, the, the water skiing part, you know, barefoot water skiing part behind a you know behind a, a, a sea, sea, um, seaplane and, and those kind of things, driving the big 18-wheeler truck. Those are all Bondy things to do, landing on the truck and taking it over. Those are the Bond parts. And that's what makes this game really good. So it... it you know, at least you're doing Bond-like stuff across multiple scenes. The way the scenes play out is good. The style is nice, really nice pixel art actually throughout. Maybe a tad small here and there, but I think that works to its benefit by keeping it that way and keeping it consistent. It meant that they weren't overly worried about frame rates and stuff like that that might have, you know, or putting in silly mechanics. It could do with more sound effects, I think, if, it's, if I was going to be critical of anything. Because there's sections of complete silence in it, which for a Bond movie never happens. So in a Bond game, that should there should have always been music playing of some description, but that's impossible for David Wick because he can't compose anything longer than a minute. <laughs> but you know, but it could have happened. It should have should really have been some kind of music in there instead of silent sections of silence and just the odd effects. Because that does add to the important atmosphere. And it's missing, I think, the one thing I will say about this game is it's missing a big final showdown. So I think that is missing. So it needs a payoff. In a Bond movie, has a payoff, especially that Bond movie has a big payoff. So it should have featured that. And I think, actually, I would have added some interstitials in this as well. It would have gone a long way to pushing the narrative forward. And it doesn't have to be lots of fancy graphics. It could have just been text on the screen to sort of inform you about, now you've got this fire and this has happened. Now you've got to go and do this. It just ties ties the, the sections because the sections in the sections and scenes just kind of blend into one another. There's no, well done, you've made it through scene one, here's scene two. It just, you know, the next one starts and hey, presto. And that does keep the game action moving. But it just, it comes at the cost of it not feeling like you're part of a coherent story, which you are. Um, and if you didn't know that, if you hadn't seen the, li- you know, the license to kill film, you would be sort of trying to piece that together a little bit you now in the dark. And it would have just benefited from that, I think. Just some text or something to just keep you narratively interested. But no, that's a minor gripe, really. All in all, this is a tough game, but at least it's akin to a Bond film. And that ain't bad. And it's a much better crack as a movie tie than any of those rubbish Arnie games by miles. This had some real merit to it. And it has some nice graphics. And yes, it has the, you know, nearly Bond soundtrack, but this is about the best Bond game I've seen in ages. Now, 80%. 
I might have been might have been a bit more generous in giving this closer to eight, the mid eighties because I think it's got a lot going for it. Um, and it isn't what you, you can't really argue that this game is mega repetitive because you know, each of the scenes is kind of different in its own little way. It has a purpose, its own individual purpose. I liked it. I thought it was good. Certainly better than the two bloody ones before it. So no, yeah, good. What did you think? Yeah, the by far the best Bond game we've had. I mean, what did we have? A View to a Kill, which was Brown Brown Paris. Um, yeah. Then we had what do we, then we had Living Daylights. Die. <laughs> no, well, it was Living, Living Daylights. Daylights. Living Daylights, which was the oh, Rolly Bond, yeah. Rolly oh, Rolly Shooty Bond. And then we had yeah, yeah um, Live and Let Die, which was water. You know, with b- b- Buggy Bond. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we got this, and 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 this made me think. I mean, if you think about this in the terms of what it's doing, this is what I was on about with the Running Man. Something like this could have easily fitted something like the Running Man. If, if you sne- yeah, that totally. sneaky that sneaky section, the level two of this, a little sort of mm. Ben Richards running around a little sort of compound trying to sort of outwit people and find them and take yeah. them out and stuff and progressing. You've had a much more interesting game anyway. Um, yeah. The, the, I think the levels are quite short in this. I think the levels are quite short, so it, it doesn't take very long. So I do think at times that, like, and I think this is just aimed at the second one, there's some fiddly controls. I think some of the difficulties, a bit, it's a bit harsh. The difficulty level is a bit harsh. That first level is... It's spike. You know, it's tricky just to get through the first level at times. You can get shot mm. when they're just some, some of those sort of huts just fire three bullets from the left and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I did like I did like it there. But it's a nice bond feel to the whole thing. Which is yes. sort of, and, and that, um, and yeah, there's some decent Bond style tunes from Mr. Whitaker, and they do, they yes. fit. Um, you know, and the game moves at a decent pace. You're always doing something. You're progressing, and it, I like the, the. I mean, it's it's quite interesting that they're all vertically scrolling games bits. Yeah. but you're doing different stuff in each one. So you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're th- your first one is like a swiv type type thing. Yeah. Your second one is a commando. Your third one is a stuntman trying to sort of pull up a plane. Your fourth mm. one is your your fourth one is you're in the water diving trying to dodge stuff. Your fifth mm. one is um your you know your jet skiing or your your water skiing. And the sixth one is you are driving a big truck. It's always something yeah. different. It's spy hunter-y type thing. There's always the six different variants of vertical scrolling action here, which is quite mm. quite well done. Um, uh, so yeah, so I think there's some good stuff. Some of the controls work better than others. I, I really like the up and down for height and speed in the opening level on the helicopter. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you push forward, you dive, you go faster, you pull up, you go slower, and things. So yeah, you can yeah. kind of move up and down, left and right. Really simple, really simple, but works. Really simple, but yeah. works. Didn't work so well. I thought was the aiming in the second level. I think I would have just preferred it if it was just an eight-way commando style yeah, shoot, type yeah. shooter. I think it would have just worked faster and better. Or if you, because it's left and right in it to aim your gun, you have to hold down yeah. fire and then left and right, and then yeah. I think I would have just preferred it. It's like you tap fire to shoot in the direction you're running. Or you held down mm. the fire button and then pointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something. Or, you know, turned yeah, it left. So it's you not could... quite, it doesn't quite work properly, does it? But I wanted it, yeah, it doesn't quite. Because you, you press fire and then he stops and then you have to sort of aim and then press fire again yeah, to shoot. Yeah. I'd prefer it if you held down the fire button, aimed, and let go yeah. of the fire button to shoot. I think that. Yeah, and sometimes you, you can't shoot at the angle you need either because you, you, you can only shoot in certain angles. Yeah, so. you've got, what is it, six? You've got just more than eight in it. So you've got 16, yeah. is it? Because I think you've got 16 yeah. ways you can shoot, but obviously that's not yeah. 360 degrees, which, no. you know, it's never going to be. But yeah. But I did like, you know, once you got where you knew the angles where you could aim them quite well. And they couldn't shoot at the sort of those in between, like twenty two and a half degrees or whatever. They couldn't do those bits, yeah. so you could do that. Um, so yeah, maybe they could have just gone with the standard commando running gun for that section. Um, but you know, I think they wanted you to sort of be a bit stop starty. So I appreciate what they were trying to do. 
I think they maybe could have just done it with a little bit better, but it's it's okay and it's interesting. And I did get through it, and I did catch the plane in the second one. I got up to without any cheats. I got to the fourth fourth level. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get through it all, but I got to the fourth one, which was the water skiing one, which I, I found just gave me loads of problems. I was like, oh, yeah, and, it's really hard that. And so getting there, so probably that. And like you said, it made me think of cannon fodder with the little sprites and the little stuff. Yeah, and I totally. think cannon fodder, sensible soccer, those kind of little. But on the C sixty four, that's quite a good compliment, obviously. Cause yes. Because Ganafod is, you know, an Amiga game, and but this had 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 quite a lot of um, character in those little sprites. I think the guy who's done the mm. graphics, and obviously did Risk as well, is is a, a competent graphics person on the C64. And the guy who's coded it obviously did Risk. So it all runs really well and smoothly, doesn't it? There's not there's no hitching or glitching or yeah, no, very you know, nicely done. It's very nice. There's a really there's a really good multi. I think there's a really good multi part game here. I think it just lacks, like you said, a little bit in certain areas. Just a little bit. I think, it, like you said, I would have. Like what they did with Rick Dangerous in those little interstitial cutscenes, mm. you know yeah. something. I think you're right, just to sort of tie each area together and give you a bit of a, you know, Sanchez has escaped, chase him on, but chase him in the in the jet ski, whatever. Yeah, or chase him drive on the boat. It, on it drives it on a bit, yeah. and you got a little sting from Dave. And then off yeah, you're yeah. off straight in. But yeah, I think. But other than that, yeah, I think eighty to eighty five. Perfectly, perfectly doable. This is it's unusual. I didn't play this. Mm. I've never played this before, so I want sure. But I think they've rung six decent games out of vertical scrolling action and sort of yeah. tied it all together into that into license to kill somehow. So I fair like play, that. done a good job. Yeah, liked it. Thought it was all right. Certainly, you know, a nice way to end the uh, the month on, and a, a nice yes. way to leave our trip to Hollywood because the other yes. two were just stinky turds. Yes, they are. Yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go that's it that's uh september done and this episode done what did we look at we looked at rainbow islands which we thoroughly enjoyed for its joint joyous, joyous cute uh rainbow spitting action in a space which was dull. Dull. Side-scrolling uh, dull. <laughs> so Gemini Wings, which was uh, confused. Flicky. Flickery Flicky. and confused. <laughs> Red Heat, top half. Top, yeah. half, top half button. <laughs> the Sauna Punch Simulator. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Running Man. Oh, <laughs> dreadful Lord. beyond oh, compare. Yeah. And finally, the high point of license to kill. Um, good start and a good end, which is always a nice way to end something, I suppose. There's no crapverts this week. I couldn't. I couldn't find any. Um, mm-hmm. But we've got a chart, so let's have a look at what's going on in the charts, Graham. Uh, right, in at number ten, uh, down from number nine is Silkworm. I'm not in. Down to number ten is sort of uh, is Silkworm. Uh, down to number nine from six is Daily Thompson's Decathlon. Uh, a re-entry for Yiya Kung Fu at number 8 Staying solid at number 7 is SAS Combat A new entry at number 6 is Storm Warrior We oh, looked at that Encore yet. release Yeah, I think not. is it Encore? So it it is Encore, release. yeah, we must have looked at that Down to number 5 is 1942 A re-entry at number 4 for Green Beret on the Hit Squad mm. A new entry, weird, at number 3 is Bard's Tail Is that, is that a new game? I thought we'd looked at Bard's Tail We looked at that, yeah, that's 1986 or 5 is going on it's electronic arts who either just re-released it or something I don't know yeah, maybe, might have just re-released yeah. it on budget or something or on tape. a tape because I think the did tape version did come out didn't it it did yeah it did yeah that must be it staying at number two is Robocop and staying at number one on the hit squad That's is right. Enduro Racer why people not learn 
Surely word of mouth no. should have spread by now. You don't, but no. Uh, rest of the charts, a new entry at number 11 with Kenny Daglish, soccer manager. Mm, okay. Uh, a new entry at number 12 is kickoff. Football season started September. You start in September okay. back then. It's back again. Yeah. Number, uh, re-entry uh, for Saboteur 2 at number 13. Mm. Uh, the Wolf Pack. I presume that must that a compilation. Must yeah. be by Blue Ribbon. Why a chocolate bar releasing games? Don't ask crazy questions like that. <laughs> That's at 14. Down to number 15 from number three is Postman Pat. Well, that went down quick. <laughs> Good. Um, in at number down to number 16 from number eight is Emily Hughes International Soccer. Um, okay. New entry at number 17. It's not. I'm sure we've seen this in the before. Dragon Ninja. We have seen Dragon Ninja. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing about this chart. I don't know. Uh, staying at 18 is Operation Wolf. Down to number 19 from number five is League Challenge. Um, and the in crowd is new entry at number 20. Okay, weird charts as usual. <laughs> it's a weird chart, yeah. Next month, we've got, well, I'm just going to go through them. We've got ARG, which okay. was that crap Melbourne House crap, crap. that we saw. Yeah, it was. God, I'll yeah, that was ages ago. That was ages ago. It's taken this long to get right. Yeah. Uh, uh, APB. Okay. That one of Carlton's games. It is, yeah. It's one he's, he's most proud of. He's got a sizzler. Uh, Excellent. Uh, Buffalo Bills Rodeo Games. Oh, goodness me, no. <laughs> um, what else we got? First Strike. Okay. Ghosts and Goblins gets a re-release. International Team Sports. Oh, no. The multi-sport <laughs> games are coming back with a vengeance. They are. Uh, well, it says here we've got Myth, but that's not right. We don't get Myth until the end of the month. Well, um, be, what so, the hell's that in there for, then? I don't know. They obviously had it, but it's not been reviewed, so it ain't. No, I know okay. that's not next month. Um, Mr. Helly. Okay. Uh, Paperboy gets re-released. Risk on Fractalis gets re-released. Shinobi. Okay. Skateball. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Skateball. That's that's that stinks of a really does, crap speed speedball. Doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> that's it. That's a little speedball if ever I saw one. Yeah. Then we've got that Thunderbird games where the Thunderbirds are coming. <laughs> <laughs> the Thunderbirds have arrived now. Yeah, they have. Uh, Tusker. Okay. Um, and it says there's Zybots, but yeah, Zybots okay. as well. Okay. Uh, I think that's them all. Let's see what we get. Let's see what we there, get. there is actually another one. Because I've got the list here. There's uh, something called Omniplay Basketball. Gosh, okay. See what so, that's like. But it's obviously they didn't know anything about that by that point, and it's obviously just dropped in the dropped in the post. <laughs> it's like, what's this? Oh, we didn't have planned for this, <laughs> but it's definitely there. It doesn't look very good. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's it for next month. September is done. We move into October. The last Ooh, rapidly, rapidly going through the year now. I know. Only six six weeks left. Each is a two parter. Wowza. I know. Not many games left for the for the year, but there are some still some interesting stuff still to come mm. beyond this. Things like Batman the movie. Loads of uh, in, indie, The Untouchables, Turbo Outrun, Myth. Myth is December. Mm. Stunt Car Racer. Okay. Cabal. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> Terry's but, Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah, that could be good. Terry Strong. Terry Strong. <laughs> Hope so. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, here, Arthur, what do you want? I've got a big adventure for you, Terry. What's going on? Put them away, love. <laughs> got time for that. Another round at another another round at time for round at Dave's. Big Dave's, big Dave's pub. <laughs> the boozer. Terry's big adventure. Oh, either that or it's uh, to rescue some chocolates. <laughs> But we never, we never know. We'll find out later. Anyway, yes, that's it. We did all the Patreon stuff at the beginning. You can do all that if you wish to go and do that. That'd be cool. Christmas approaches. Just generally Christmas approaches yes. in real life and in the podcast. 
December comes <laughs> two ways. Uh, you got anything you want to say, Graham? No, no. I'm just gonna. I'm glad some of those crappy games are done with because they were <laughs> crappy. And goodness me, I'm not holding out much hope for the Untouchables at this rate. No, I'm looking at stuff that's now getting 40 percent in the reviews, thinking, well, maybe it's not going to be quite so bad. And then I think the Running Man got 44. <laughs> percent So I'm I'm now a bit more feared about some of this nonsense coming up. But we shall see. We shall see. On that note, let's make our excuses and leave like a good news of the world reporter. As ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. Um, And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past. And we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.